Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. First and foremost, they want to add some kind of late inning reliever, a guy who could even, uh, challenge or accumulate however you want to do it some saves for them you know a guy like that they'd like to add well that was Derek Gould and that was a month ago now something like that before the lockout was officially over alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex that's not exactly what I would say that the Cardinals added over the weekend uh, they did add an, another arm along with the arm that they signed on Friday Congratulations to Drew Verhagen and Nick Whitgren, your newest additions to the Cardinals bullpen. I feel like you mispronounced that. There was no confidence behind you saying that name. Drew Verhagen, Verhagen, I'm not sure. I hope I'm getting the gentleman's name correct. He's going to be an important piece to the bullpen this year. He signed a two-year, I'm actually serious on that one, $5.5 million contract. That was on Friday. We reacted to that news on Friday. Yesterday, they signed this Nick Whitgren character to a one-year deal worth $1.2 million. Alex, it's not that I am opposed to signing a guy to a cheaper contract. It's not even necessarily that I hold it against the Cardinals that they went cheap in the bullpen in general. I'm in favor of doing exactly that. It was the way that their expectations were sold to me that left me feeling a little disappointed, a little empty over the weekend. And I'm not the only one that felt that way. As I was listening to the morning show today, here's how Randy character character rather described their bullpen additions. Could there be more low hanging fruit? This is like. This is Randy picking apples at Eckert's, all right? <laughs> the, Verhagen and Whitgren are as low-hanging as it gets. I, I'm not getting on the ladder, Michelle. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not reaching for Ryan Tapera or Ian Kennedy. I'm, I'm, the apple that I get is Drew Verhagen. This is like my daughter going apple picking. What do you think about the additions? You know, I know, I know people would probably want us to come on here and freak out like, what the hell are the Cardinals doing? I was... I felt the same way BK felt when Steven Matt signed him. Cool. If there's one thing I'm not going to question this Cardinals team over, it's signing under the radar pitchers 
and then overreacting to them because I overreacted at the trade deadline when they acquired John Lester, who is not a under the radar pitcher, but it was a past his prime pitcher. When they when they got Wade LeBlanc, when they got Luis Garcia, when they we couldn't even TJ find McFarland. We couldn't even find a picture of Luis Garcia on Get baseball. Not the Astros guy. <laughs> when they, I'm there were three of them, and none of them were the Cardinals guy they acquired. I was out of town when they signed him. I remember this because I looked it up, and I was I was like. Holy bleep. They got that Luis Garcia. It was the Yankees Luis Garcia. We're like, damn. No, no, it was the Astros. The Astros, correct. I was like, how how did they get this guy? I don't understand. How did the Astros make him available? And then I I found out that it 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 wasn't that guy. guy. It was the one that was stuck in the minors and was basically cut from the Yankees AAA team. But that's why I'm not overreacting with this. Would I have liked them to actually sign one of the bigger pitchers and for the way that it was all being pumped up by Derek Gould and the others reporting that the Cardinals need a bullpen pitcher who can fight for a closing role? I really did in my head picture Joe Kelly or Ryan Tapera or possibly trading for Craig Kimbrell. But when this happened, it's like, okay, well, the Cardinals went over to Japan and they found a pitcher in the, or was it the Korean League that they found Verhagen in? And then they brought in Whitgren. So if there's one thing I'm not going to question, it's the Cardinals' ability to find pitchers. Now, will they be effective? That's to be determined. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the Whitgren signing because you look at his numbers. I get it. Last year he had a bad year, but overall in his career, he's been pretty good. And he's got a high ground ball percentage last year. So would I have rather seen someone like a Joe Kelly, which we seem to have thought that they were going to go do? I thought they were going to. I, I thought they were going to bring in two relievers. I thought it was probably going to be someone like this. And then also one of those big names. It's a para, a Kelly, or even someone like... Uh, Who's the one we've talked about that can McHugh McHugh that can cover multiple innings as well. I, I think they're probably done adding in bullpen wise. I think these are the two guys they got. I don't see room for another guy. It is a little bit disappointing, but I, I can see where they were thinking on both these. I think maybe the relief market didn't drop as much as we thought as what Buster only had thought when we talked to him back before the lockout had ended. And I think the Cardinals said, okay, we like these guys. Probably not what we want to pay for them. We're going to allocate maybe our funds elsewhere. Maybe and we'll go get these guys that are here in like that mid-tier in the free agent market. So that's the thing. In a vacuum, I really don't mind either of these signings. And I'm totally with you, Alex, on what they did last year, in my opinion, buys them the benefit of the doubt. What they were able to do in finding uh, the guys that were able to stabilize this rotation and the bullpen a year ago makes me feel like both of these signings could easily work out for them. Like, would it surprise me at all if this year in a vacuum... Joe Kelly has a worse year than Nick Wickren. Honestly, no. I would not be surprised at all if Wickren outperforms one-to-one what Joe Kelly is, and the Cardinals got Wickren for, what, $7 million less, and they only had to give him a one-year deal as opposed to Joe Kelly that got the multi-year contract. Wouldn't surprise me. And also, if they end up not spending that money, it does kind of leave me with this empty feeling inside. Like if they end up saying, okay, our off season's over. We added Drew Verhagen, Nick Whitgren, and Steven Matz. And then we're just bringing back the same club offensively as we had last year. I know Tanner's really excited about Juan Yepes. And there's every reason to be excited oh, about yeah. Juan Yepes. I know everybody is excited about Nolan Gorman and for good reason. He ain't going to be up till at least July. So. That's the thing. I have no idea what to expect out of those guys. And I think we've really got out over our skis on what our expectations are for Lars Newbar. Lars Newbar in the second half of the season was Paul DeYoung offensively. They were uh, the exact same, basically. He just tra- changed his number to Alan Craig's number, though, so watch out. And, and I'm not saying he's going to be bad. It, it might work out just fine. But I, 
I don't know how I can sit here and say, oh, yeah, I'm super gung-ho about what this offense is going to look like if there's no new additions. And on the pitching side of things, like, uh, they they added fine guys. None of them really get me going in any meaningful way, though. But in all reality, in looking at the bullpen for this Cardinals team, Yes, it would have been ideal to add a guy who could slot in with the Genesis Cabreras and the Giovanni Gallegos is at the back end. But other than that, you're not really sure where these guys fit in with all of this. So that's why, I mean, it made sense when they went after the Verhagen who kind of mimicked what the Colin McHugh is. Just yeah, that, not as, that signing, I actually have no issue with whatsoever. See, the Whitgren sound to me, and maybe I'm wrong with this one, but that just felt more like a depth move. Then it felt like a guy who's going to be implemented into their bullpen. But that's exactly what it's going to be. And they, yeah. maybe this is where we're having the disconnect. Is it, it my my issue with it is not the individual signing. I, I have no issue with them signing him. My issue is what it means for their bullpen construction. Him getting a one year deal for a million dollars. He's going to be in your bullpen. This is not a minor league contract. This is a he's going to be in our bullpen starting on opening day. And then the expectation is he's there once they finish the season as well. This is it. Your bullpen is now basically set. I I don't see a way where you can go out there and add more because you've got Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes. We all agree those three are definitely going to be on the opening day roster, right? In your bullpen? Okay. Yeah, and McFarland for sure. Helsley, McFarland, Verhagen. And now you can add into that mix Whitgren. That's seven of your eight relievers that you're going to be able to. uh, No, I, I didn't include him as a guarantee. He might be on there. But I think there's a few different guys that are going to be fighting for that last spot. Well, that's why I feel like Whitgren is just going to be fighting for it with Whitley, too. Whitley, Whitgren, and Hicks. But those guys have options. Those guys can go down to the minors, whereas Whitgren, you've given him a million dollars. You're not just going to sign a guy and then cut him. Well, understandable, but if he comes into spring training and he's not good and the other two are better. He'll be the Greg Holland. Well, Holland didn't come in spring training, but he'll be on the team. I think it's a $1 million risk thing where you say, okay. Cardinals don't do that, though, man. You know that. I get it, but you're telling me if Hicks goes out there and dominates and or Whitley dominates in spring training, they're going to say, well, we're going to send them down because of options. One of them, yes. Absolutely. If both of them are amazing in spring training, I would imagine Whitley starts the year down in AAA, and then eventually he gets called up. And they'll say, great, we've got fans. You can't see that with the Cardinals? Yeah. I think a million dollars. They The moment he got, I think it was 1.2, he's on this team. I mean, they don't hand out a million-dollar contract unless you're going to be on the team. I mean, hell, they had Matt Carpenter, $18 million. Was it $18 million that sat on the bench and they wouldn't $18 million is different than $1.2 million. I get mil. it, but I mean, like, a million dollars, they're not cutting him. In fact, he's probably competing for the seventh-inning role. He may lose it to a Helsley or a Whitley, but he at minimum, he's going to be a mid-relief guy. I, I think he's battling with Whitley, Helsley, for being in that seventh inning role. I I don't know if I'd throw Hicks in that. I just don't know the plan for Hicks or Reyes. But I think those are your guys competing for the seventh inning role. And then whether or not Whitgren wins it or not, he'll be middle relief. And then somebody, let's be case, that'll go down to the minors. I think there's seven guys that are locked in to this bullpen. Completely locked in. No question about it. Absolutely will be on the opening day roster. It's Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes, Helsley, McFarland, Verhagen. And then yesterday, I think you added into that mix, Whitgren. Uh, th- those are your seven. And then you could potentially add... Maybe it's Hicks. Maybe it's Whitley. I think it's probably going to be Hicks if he is ready to go health wise. But we'll see on that. The next question is, okay, let's assume for a second this is the roster. 
that they're not going to go out and make any significant additions offensively, that you're going to have a, a roster that is your typical starting nine, and then uh, your bench looks like something, Kisner, Sosa, Yepes, Newt Bar, and then whoever ends up getting that last spot. Maybe it's Brendan Donovan, somebody like that, that, that ends up making his way up to the big league roster. Derek Wool had an interesting piece over the weekend. He wrote, Marmol nonetheless had a consistent message when he addressed his team. This team expects to win the World Series, period. The Dodgers remain a force. The big money Mets have fortified their pitchers. Milwaukee made moves to maintain their reign with 14 consecutive winning seasons and likely one last season with catcher Yadier Molina. The Cardinals, not so quietly, believe that they're in that same class. Do you guys think that the current Cardinals roster is good enough to win a World Series? I don't. I think they're one move away. I, I think they're one bat away from being in contention for a World Series consideration. I, I just, I'm not sold on that DH slash next elite bat with the other ones. I think Arenado's going to be there. Goldschmidt's going to be there. Tyler O'Neill's going to be there. But then after that, it drops off. And I think they're putting a lot of faith in Paul DeYoung getting back to his form. If he gets to his 30 home run form once again, then maybe I can change my opinion. But as it sits now, no, I think they need one more bat. See, I, I'm not sure that they're there yet, but I'm not sure I'm going to say that it's a bat that they're needing just yet because I want to see what the young guys do first because I am high on Juan Yepes. Nolan Gorman is going to have an impact on this team this uh, this season. And if that's the case and Dylan Carlson takes a step forward, which I think that that is the plan, and I don't I don't buy into Paul DeYoung having the bounce back to his all-star form, but let's say he does get back and he's hitting 230 and can have 30 home run potential, then yeah, I think the team could make a potential run at it. I think they're pitching. I get it. It's not sexy, but it plays into what they did last year, where it is we're going to pitch to contact. We don't care about strikeouts. We're going to win with our defense. I think that's the same game plan for them. I won't sit here now and say, yeah, they're a World Series contender, but I think if things bounce their way and the young guys do contribute, I think they are. So I don't, I'm not going to say they're one bat short just yet, but I think they're fringe. I think they're in that second tier right now in the National League. So some bad news for baseball, but good news for the Cardinals contending chances. There's some news in baseball right now. Fernando Tatis Jr. has a fractured wrist. Terrible contract. He's getting surgery. And he could be out for a few months. That's according to Kevin Acey, who is the Padres beat writer for the San Diego Union Tribune. So there's one. And we know there's going to be more of these types of injuries. Do I think that the Cardinals has currently constructed when you stack them up against the Mets or the Dodgers or the Giants, who I think are going to be really good once again this year? Uh, big signing for them with Rodon over the weekend. Do I think that they are in the same class right now as those teams? My answer is no. Do I think that they could be, though, by the end of the season? Yeah, it's possible. Nolan Gorman needs to be very good very quickly. Juan Yepes needs to be a difference maker for them. They need to get positive indicators on all of the pitchers that they have put their faith behind so far this offseason. They could get there. But as of today, Alex, I think I'm with you. I still feel like you're a move away. I, like you could go out there and if they acquired a, a strong left-handed bat that could fit into the mix as a DH option, I would feel so much better about this team right now. If that's what these moves were about in the pitching staff, if they signed for whatever, three and a half million dollars to relievers. So that way they could sign an $8 million batter instead of a $3 million hitter. I, I actually think that's a great way to go about it. 
But if this is just them going cheaper on the pitching side because they wanted more value there and then they're not going to add anything to the offense, that's where I I just again, I feel a little empty inside. I I don't really get excited about those. You got to do something with the money that you just saved on what you did. Joe Kelly signed two years, $18 million. So you didn't spend 18 mil on a higher end reliever. Instead, you got two guys for less than three, $4 million. Do something with it. You can't sit on that and say, well, we feel comfortable with our team. I think you got to go aggressive. If all of the conversations coming out of spring training from the manager, from the president of hockey operations from the owner from the players are talking we're ready for a world series well then add to it don't say go get it done with what you've got add to it so that everyone feels confident they can make a move kyle schwarber if the trevor story thing's realistic here something like that sets this team over the top and in my opinion puts them in the same conversations as the padres the giants and the brewers with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the first breakdown that we've got for you guys when it comes to the NCAA tournament. We began our NCAA tournament regional breakdowns with the South region. Thank Tanner's you, Illini are going to be oh, in that baby. one, and they had a difficult draw once again. Loyola. In about 30 minutes during WTF questions and answers, I will this. give you my <laughs> early thoughts on the Mizzou basketball coaching search as well. But coming up next, Alex, I've got some questions about what we saw yesterday from the Blues. And why I think this is just becoming a recurring theme from them. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Centers, they score! Robert Thomas, his second of the game. There's the horn, bring out the Zamboni. What a win for the Blues here in Nashville. 2-0-1 this season against the Predators. Blues again, clear, but to the line, not out. Pass to Connor, score, and the Blues are losing 3-2 as they continue to turn the puck over. Down to the goal line, they get it in front, they score! The Jets bring it in. Ehlers centering. They shoot and score. They caught the Blues on a bad line change. Dubois puts in the game winner. And the Winnipeg Jets beat the Blues 4-3 to tonight. That's what it sounded like over the weekend right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. As the Blues lose yesterday in overtime, they are now 1-6 on the season in overtime, which is not great. Only Buffalo is worse so far this year in the NHL. But they get a big win on Saturday morning against Nashville. They have won now, or they've picked up points, rather, in each of their last three games coming off of that four-game losing streak. They got five of a possible six points against New York. Nashville and Winnipeg alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are frustrated by the game yesterday. Understandably. So that was a giveaway game, but I feel pretty good about where the Blues are at coming off of that three-game stretch right there. We all said we felt fine about them after the four-game losing streak because they just they weren't playing well against poor opponents. Well, they played against some good ones, and they played mostly pretty well over the weekend. Where are you at on this team coming out of that three-game stretch? I'm the same place. I mean, if you would have told me before these games started that they were going to play the Rangers, the Predators, and the Winnipeg Jets and take five out of a possible six points on top of playing all of those games in a four-day span, I would have been ecstatic because those are three really tough games 
and to be able to pull out four points from Nashville and the Rangers. And the big one was Nashville in regulation and not having to go to overtime because the the new tiebreaker this season, they don't chart in overtime. The first one is regulation wins. So that was a big victory. Look, that was a game that hurt the blues the way that they've lost games this season and it's turnovers. And, you know, to look at the certain circumstances where Marco Scandella had the puck on his stick and turned it over and it was caught at the blue line that led to the goal. Justin Falk had a pass that led to a goal. When Justin Falk makes a mistake, those are pretty rare this season because he's been one of their best defensemen. And Marco Scandella, we've seen that this season with him. So turnovers hurt this team. And that was the story from the Winnipeg Jets. Also, you took your foot off of the gas in the third period. You scored a goal with less than 30 seconds in the second period to take the lead. You came out quiet in the third, and Winnipeg brought it to you. And when we were talking about this in the office, T-Bone brought up a great point, and I agree with him. They look like a team that's done with the regular season and just wants to play the postseason. And it sounds strange to say because you still have... Did you feel that way, though, on Thursday and Saturday? Because I didn't, and so I feel like we're just trying to uh, Saturday assign. I, Saturday I did once they got that three nothing lead. Saturday I'm like, ooh, they, like they had the thing that hurts them. It's what beat them against the New York Rangers, or it's beat. It's what beat them uh, a couple of times this season. They get a three goal lead, and then it's like, okay, we're good. And then the team pushes back, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, I thought we were good to win this one. It's strange to say with, what is it, less than 20 games to play in the regular season, like you still have a lot to deal with, but they just looked like a team that checked out in the third period against Winnipeg yesterday. And the reason I say it, too, is just because it's just the level of the ups and downs with the team, and I get it that that goes on throughout a regular season, but... I mean, you see that a lot with teams that are like feel like they've already clinched the playoff spot. Is it's one game they look really awesome, and then there's like yesterday where it was the third period, and it was just kind of a dud of a period. Like it, that's kind of what I talk about. Is just it, there are games where it's like over the weekend against Nashville, they looked really awesome when they came out and they go up three nothing, and then you look at Sunday, and and to me that game was just kind of I, I thought they played well. Don't get me wrong, but I never got the sense that it was as competitive or the Blues were playing as feisty as they did against. Nashville. Maybe that was a back-to-back, but they've done that in parts of this season, especially in that last stretch in New York where they lost four in a row to end that road trip. So that's the reason I say that is I just feel like, and I look at the standings, and and I've confidently said this since like a month ago, they're a playoff team. Definitely. And, and like when I watch them, I'm I'm judging them on a Stanley Cup curve, and I watch them now, and it's just kind of okay. It's another. It's a game that we're going to break down. It's not much for me to look at and really dive into of what's going wrong with this team. No, they're a playoff team. I think they view it the same way. And at times, I think you you just see it on the ice. It's not a bad thing. It's just they come out sometimes, and I think they just kind of coast because they know they're already going to be in the playoffs. I just think that's a characteristic of this team. I, I don't think it's necessarily, at least for me, the, the way that I view it. I don't think it's necessarily that they're coasting because they're just ready to get into the playoffs. I think this team just has some ups and downs that it goes through within games, not even just talking about within the season. Like there are periods where they don't show up and that's been a characteristic since early in the season. At first it was what the second period was the one that they were struggling with. And then it was the slow starts. And then they've gone through some of the finishing that has been difficult for them. I think that's just who they are. And I don't know if that's because of the defense, I, I can't really describe as to exactly why that is happening to them. Because well, I, I, I can tell you what it's not. It's not goaltending. I mean, their goaltending has been great in these three games for them. Yeah, no, I, I'm saying up front, like the, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think they've the, the goaltending, especially yesterday, like Bennington wasn't the reason that you lost that game by any stretch. Um, but I, I just think that's a characteristic of this year's blues is they're 
they're up and down. They flip the switch. Like they can have a three minute period where they look a three minute stretch rather, where they look like the best team in the world. And then they can have a 10 minute stretch where they look like they've never played hockey before. And I, I don't know why, I, I don't know why that is, but that three minute stretch that they have where they look really excellent. That's enough for me to latch on to, to say like, if they can just sustain that, they can be as good as anybody. And that's, that's been the case this year. Like right now you're, you have the third best record in points percentage in the Western conference. You're quite a bit right now ahead of the, of Minnesota and Nashville. Like I, I feel very good about where the blues are at, but they do have those stretches where they just look like they forgot how to play from the three, one, four on the air comfort service text line, six, five, seven, eight. Oh, does the trend of being burned on turnovers mean this team should be looking for a puck moving defenseman, not a physical net front guy. Uh, yes, but I think they need a little bit of both on that because they've gotten beat in front of the net, but you're right. You got to move the puck a lot more efficient. And Craig Bruby's talked about it. When this team's stationary and trying to exit the zone with their passes, they get picked off. Mm-hmm. When they use their feet and they skate, that's where they're an effective team. And that's just what they weren't doing in the third period against the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, it's it, I, I if I had my preference, I would rather have them have that be that guy. Um that is going to push people out of the way in the front of the net. The, net like, presence, the Ben yeah. Sherratt type of player. I would rather have that if I could just have my pick of the litter, but that also comes with a price. And because there's very few of those guys that are potentially available, they become even more expensive. Like Ben Sherratt's going to go for a first round pick for a reason. It's because everybody is looking for that type of player right now. Speaking of what they could get at the deadline, Alex, there was some interesting news over the weekend that I do think could play into what the Blues are going to do or can do as we get closer to the trade deadline. So Jacob Chikrin, who uh, it's it's kind of up in the air as to whether or not the Blues are actually in on him or not. I, I, some people connect the reports. Blues and some people don't connect the Blues. I just, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how to read that. So he has a lower body injury. He got an MRI yesterday and nobody seems to know how serious it is. They don't think that it's serious down in Arizona, but who knows? And if he ends up coming out and there's some sort of significant injury for him. Well, obviously you can take his name off of the list. Gabriel Landeskog, he's having knee surgery today. He is out indefinitely. He's hoping that he can be back before the playoffs. That has LTIR yeah. written all over That's it. That's the Nikita Kucherov move right yeah. there. So Air quotes, hope to be back before yeah. the The Avalanche suddenly have, no pun intended, an avalanche of money that they can okay. use as we get closer to the trade deadline. Seriously. And then the other piece of news from the weekend, Joel Edmondson made his return. And Alex, I was reading today over at The Athletic and their beat writer said that he's in contention to be their next captain because of how significant he is in terms of the leadership that he brings inside of that locker room. So I can't imagine that they're going to be trading that guy as we get closer to the trade deadline. And then the last piece of news, this came from Jr. in his piece earlier today. He said that the Blues continue to be interested in Ben Sherratt, which we knew. But there are many other possibilities and many more names, such as Philadelphia's Ivan Provorov over the weekend being linked to the team on an almost daily basis. Now, that is a name that I am very interested in. He is also very expensive, both in terms of what he costs for draft capital and also his salary cap situation. Yeah, that's the one that I mean, I've never even brought his name up because you're talking six point seven five mil, I think, for the this year and then the next four years. So he's locked up. He's a young defenseman. I believe he was a seventh overall pick by the Philadelphia Flyers. He's everything you want. I don't know how you get that done because you're right. You're talking um, 
probably around the same amount of a Jacob Chikrin trade in terms of assets that you're sending the other way. And you got to figure out how to make the money work. But I trust Jeremy Rutherford. If he says that they've been linked to him, then there's something right there. That's the guy. If you want a guy to go after, he's the one. He's just really expensive, and I don't know how you make that work, but that's a hell of a top four for a Stanley Cup push if you have those uh, him added to this core. Yeah, adding him to this team basically means you're out on getting any sort of significant upgrade offensively this offseason. Like that, that's what it would do to you. He's $6.75 million this year, next, and the two years after that. So you have but three more years of club control. But you're bringing in a guy who is helping your offense. I mean, this is a guy who has had 41 points as a defenseman in the past. And this is also a guy who really does not miss games. He stays healthy. So 25 years old on top of it, six foot one. I mean, he he's everything you want. He's playing 25 minutes a game. He is basically their version of Colton Pareko. Like, do would you want a second Colton Pareko? He's not the same size or anything, but if you would sign up for that, that's what you'd be adding. And I, yes, I, I would very much like to sign up for that. And he's 25 years old. So if this is a real possibility, like, yes, that's the move that you make. The problem is it's going to be costly. Like you're talking, I don't know what Scott Perunovich's value is right now, given all of the injuries, probably very little. Uh, Jake Neighbors, absolutely. He's got to be involved in this trade. You, one of those goalies, probably. Yeah, they're going to have to be involved maybe multiple first round picks possibly involved. Like it's, it's going to be very expensive in terms of the money and also the capital that you have to give up in a move but like if this you want all in that's all in right there because you're getting probably the best available defenseman on the market and you're adding him to your team. And and if you're telling me I could get him and, and I got to give up a, a neighbors and a Hofer and multiple first round picks, Sign me up because I'm fixing an issue now and I'm fixing an issue later. What if it also takes me and Ivan Barbashev type of player? That's going to be a lot tougher for me to come to terms with. But I think for something like that, I'd have to really consider it because, again, you're talking about a number one defenseman added to a team that already has a couple of guys who could be number one defensemen. I, I think I would do it. It's tough, but I think I would do it, especially because your guy, uh, Logan Brown, has been playing a little better of late. And if he could, if you're telling me I, that that's the that's the trade-off is Barbie's out of the lineup, you put Brown in in his spot, and then now you've got a really sturdy defenseman on the back end. It makes a lot of sense, man. And if you sent, the funny thing is money-wise, if you sent um, Ivan Barbashev and Marco Scandella to them, you could almost make it work money-wise. You're going to have to give up more if you want them to take a Marco Scandella because they're taking on contract for the next couple of years. That's probably going to be one of the toughest math equations that a team can figure out. Um, but again, I trust Jeremy Rutherford's reporting. And if he's saying that the Blues are connected to him, there's a reason why. And I should be clear. I don't know if he is saying that like based on his reporting they've been connected he's or if he's hearing. saying like he's hearing other people say that. So this could all become a pretty bad game of telephone sometimes, but I mean, if that guy's available, that's the type of player that they should absolutely go out there and try to acquire. So that's where we're at with the blues. All of us very much not worried about what they had to do yesterday. Although it would be kind of nice if they could, you know, fix the giveaways with Alex Ferrario ah, and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in 15 minutes. We'll play a game of questions and answers, but coming up next, let's get into our NCAA tournament regional breakdowns. We start Start with the South region today. Tanner's region is a line. I, what are their odds? What are their chances of actually getting through this one? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, it's, 
it's that time of the year, ladies and gentlemen, NCAA tournament time, where I've watched five college basketball games all season long, yeah. and now and I now get to I'm be an, an expert, expert on the NCAA <laughs> tournament. I got a my bank, for sure. My bank account is about to just be really hit over these I next couple so of excited. weeks. I am so excited. Thursday and Friday, we're going to be broadcasting live out in Alton, Illinois, at Max. We will be in the state of Illinois. Where oh, I can get God. on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Dude, I got, I got I some bets down. Dude, I got diapers still to buy. I can't do that. No, that's how you pay I for the diapers, man. Diapers. You win big over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. You pay for I your diapers afterwards. It'll be great. Kings. Come on, man. You know better than that. All right, let's dive into the South region. That's where we're going to start. Each day, we'll break down one specific region as we head into the NCAA tournament. Let's start with the South. And why are we doing the South? Because Illinois got screwed again. Oh, baby. I'm so sorry, Tanner. So Illinois ended up with a four seed in the South region. Their first round matchup's fine. They got Chattanooga. Unfortunately, very similar to last year, where they ended up in the second round having to go up against a severely underseeded Loyola of Chicago, who was number 10 in the Ken Palm rankings overall in the country, but an eight seed in the tournament. And then they lost. This year, they get Houston potentially in the second round, who ended up as a three seed because they don't have any quality wins this year. But in Ken Palm's rankings, Alex, they're a top five team in the country. (laughs) It ain't great. Not a good draw for our friends over at Illinois. Watch out, T-Bone. What's the first round matchup that you're most intrigued to see? In the South region. In the South. Honestly, it's Colorado State versus Michigan. Because that's the one I just don't have a read on. I was telling T-Bone, the South region, in my opinion, is about the most predictable region out of all four of them this tournament. Because like I can go through the list and be like, that seems like it's a simple win, which of course is not going to be a simple win because we're not experts. But the one that I was hung up on... Speak for yourself, man. I know, sorry. Your five games. Your five (laughs) games I need to be on top of. I got three, so I guess that makes me a semi-expert. The one that I'm hung up on is Michigan and Colorado State because Colorado State's a good team but Michigan of course is a team that underperformed in the regular season so I would say that's the one I'm most intrigued by. Slight fa- Our second favorite would be Ohio State and Loyola. That's the one for me because yep. I, I think Colorado State's going to beat Michigan. I just don't think Michigan's a very good team. Juwan Howard's better at swinging than he is coaching, in Whoa. my opinion. Uh, so I'm going to go. Don't say that to his I, face. I, I, I know. No kidding. I, I, but Ohio State is really banged up Loyola. I've I've gone through the Sister Jean experience. It's not great. It, it's there are a lot of tears. Of her. I know. Ohio State's beat up, but EJ Liddell, I saw him just dominate Illinois. I think he has enough to potentially carry them past them, but I'm very intrigued. I actually like Loyola Chicago. Ohio State's a one-point favorite in that one. I think that's the best game, and I I don't know that they're – I like Colorado State-Michigan as well. I think I would take Colorado State in that one of those two. Another one that's going to be interesting, you're going to see a UAB written as a sleeper in the South region by a few different people. I think Houston's just way too good. Yeah. I don't think that they end up getting upside in that 5-12 matchup, but that'll be a one worth watching as well. What do you guys think is the most likely first round upset? Is there one that you've got your eye on in this region? Go ahead, T-Bone. Well, tell which, the people. Which one are which one are you thinking? I know exactly what you're going to say. I, the, 16, the damn 16 over Arizona. Oh, I do like Brian a little <laughs> bit, but not that much. They got to win in the first four anyway. Get anyways. the hell out of here. I'm feeling a little bit of a Cinderella story, guys. Let me remind you. I don't remember what year it was. BK would know better than me. Norfolk State, first time in the tournament, 
measly little 15 seed, team. and they took down this, this quote-unquote great team, the two no, seed no, of Missouri. No, no, way to, way to bring in Disney, BK. <laughs> number 14, Longwood. I oh think they got a God. shot against number three, Tennessee. Tennessee's riding high, everybody. Do you oh, know where Longwood is located? Higher. Don't you speak no ill idea. about Buddy Bayheim. Longwood's first time being in the NCAA tournament. That just smells a Cinderella Farmville, run. Virginia. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is this Hoosiers? Farmville, Virginia. Is that where they have, like, turkey and stuff? They would get you your lunch meat? I'm know, taking man. Longwood over Tennessee. I'm sick and tired of hearing about Tennessee making this run in the SEC tournament. Give me Longwood. I'm also putting Houston on upset watch. UAB. <laughs> hey, that's right. Is there that's going to win? <laughs> well, well, always going to win. UAB's got this stud named Jordan Walker. No, not the one in the Cardinal system, but he averages 20 points per game. I think he carries them past Houston. What's I'm not buying into you? it. The Ken Palm You know what rankings. my upset is? Chattanooga over Illinois. Oh, that's not mouth. true. No, mine would be Michigan over Colorado State. I think that's probably the upset because I don't know if I would view Loyola beating Ohio State an upset. That's the thing. So they're a one-point underdog. I it's don't view that real... as an upset. Michigan's actually favored uh, in Vegas for what it's <laughs> what? worth. Yeah, they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Colorado State. So you, you want to pick okay, another so one? so I guess that's not an upset. Well, I might as well just go Brian over Arizona, right, T-Bone? They got to win the first four. I don't think there's really upsets in the South. And we're always wrong about this when we're this confident that all the higher seeds are going to move on. It's probably going to be the region that just gets destroyed on the first day of the tournament. But if you look at it and you go through, like I, I see Arizona, Seton Hall, Houston, Illinois, Michigan for me, Tennessee, Ohio, or Loyola, and Villanova. That's the, like Loyola is the team that I would view as being an upset, but it's not but a big it's upset. Not, yeah. It's a seven ten matchup, so I, I don't have a good one for this. Honestly, I, I wish I did. Who's your sleeper team to come out of this region, though? Is there a three or lower seed that you're like, hey, they they could go on a run? Honestly, Houston. And I know Houston's got a really tough schedule in terms of the Sweet 16, where they would potentially match up against Arizona. Great slate to get there. Tough once you get to the uh, the Sweet 16, though, yeah. right, Tanner? Yeah. I mean, there it's a simple march through True. round 32, in my opinion. Houston would be the one for me that I can see going on a little bit of a run, but I would hear the argument of a Loyola going on a run. Yeah, that's the one for me. I got them losing to Villanova in the second round. But I would not be stunned to see Loyola going around. They re- they remind me so much of the team that they had last year. They play solid defense. They're good offensively. They're playing the same system that uh, yep. Peter Moser left them with because it was his assistant that took over. I could see them making a run. Don't be shocked if you see Sister Jean dancing her way to the sweet 16-year-old Dude, she lead can't. eight. She can't. Like She's got the moves. Something. Oh, I'll be able to dance when I'm not. Houston 90. would be my pick to go different, though. Tennessee's really good. You think in Longwood? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From good old Virginia. I'll go Colorado Farmsville. State. <laughs> Colorado State would be my pick as a, like, surprise. Wow, how'd that happen? Kind of mm-hmm. similar to, remember a few years ago when K-State went on their run to the Elite Eight and everybody was like, what? What? Where'd this come from? Colorado State's a year ahead. They, they've got most of their team is going to return next year. Um, so they're, they're going to be even better next year than they are right now. But they've got this David Roddy kid who's very, very, very good. He's considered to be one of the top 10 players in the country by Ken Palm. Uh, so I, I'll go with Colorado State. He ends up becoming a national name that we all know by the Elite Eight. What is the team that you are most confused by? Because you don't know if they're going to go to the Final Four, or you don't know if they're going to lose in the second round. <laughs> it's it's saying, yeah, it's I think it's all saying, the same. It's the team I'm saying. It's Illinois. It's Illinois. Yeah, cool. like, oh, I thought we were going Brian, number 16. Illinois has one of the I best players in the, the country round. in Kofi Coburn, but also I'm picking them to lose to Houston. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, well, they might not get past Chattanooga. 
Watch okay, out for that him, one's Timo. false. They're they're beating Chattanooga. <laughs> I saw. Uh, I said to you guys in the office one day after watching the Southern Conference yep. Championship, whoever wins, whoever wins this is not going to the have an upset because it was just that bad a game. Illinois drew Chattanooga, so they're not losing there. But they have just consistency, consistency of having runs that go against them, where their shooting goes cold in every game, and it's usually about a ten minute stretch. They do that. The pressure starts to mount in March. They could easily be bounced because of that. And Kofi Coburn's been good. But if he gets into foul trouble, this Illini offense changes a lot. You just got to watch out for that Curbelo character. Uh, I love and you Curbelo. got the turnover turnovers and Andre Curbelo. He and his turnovers, T-Bone. Illini confused me. I think they have the talent to go for on a Final Four run, but I think it's like BK said. I could easily see him getting bounced in the second. Is that your squad as well? Yeah. I, they're but. the most confusing team because exactly what you said. You got Kofi Coburn, but they're still a team that gets beat on a consistent basis and I just I, I don't know man like for some reason when they get to the tournament everyone's sitting here going oh yeah they got final four potential like we did last year and then second game it's just the offense goes silent so they're they're very confusing. Alright last thing is we're wrapping up our breakdown of the of the south region who do you have coming out? I've got Arizona I'm going to go chalk I think Arizona for my money is the best team in the country right now that I've seen of late. So I'm going Arizona as the team for me. What do you got? I mean, Arizona's my team in the final four. I mean, I hate going chalk too, but you're right. Arizona, they just seem to be as dominant as you can get when you ask for with the defense, with the stars, with the star power. Arizona's my team. I'm going Villanova. I think Villanova, they're the best free-throw shooting team in the country. That's going to matter in yep. March Madness. Ah, free throws they're also matter. pretty good defensively. They don't turn the ball over, and I think that's how they get past Arizona. And they've got the coach that's battle-tested. So exactly. That, that's a fun region. The South ended up being, uh, I think that's the like top four-wise, the best region out of any of them, which, of course, it is because that's where Illinois And they got Longwood up. in it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to be joined by Katie Wu coming up oh. in the 12 o'clock hour. We're very excited to Baseball catch up with season. her. At 1.15, we're talking to JT Brown, the TV color analyst for the Seattle Kraken. Very curious to see what he has to say about the Kraken's plans as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. But coming up next, time for some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, the deals are flying fast and furious in the NFL. And the big one that just just got announced, the Pittsburgh Steelers have their new starting quarterback, boys. They, they trade for Deshaun, Deshaun Watson? Watson? Come on, man. That's, the same cute. Page. That's cute, man. They have agreed to a two-year contract <laughs> with former Bears and Bills quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, risky Trubisky in Pitsy. What do you think they are going to give him in terms of money? Because it hasn't been announced yet. I haven't seen it anywhere, but four years, $80 million. We can guarantee it's two years. Two for tw- what do you mean you can guarantee it's two years? That's been reported. Yeah. Damn, I thought I had it. I- I'm going like two and 40 with 20 of it guaranteed. Okay. I-, I think that second bigger. year will basically be a team option for him. That's what I was wondering. I wonder if there'd be a team option. That way, if this fails in one year one, you can be done with it. 
I, I think I'd agree with that. Two and forty, maybe just a little bit less, like two and thirty-five, and guarantee about half of it. I, I am very curious to know if there is an option to it because I don't think you guarantee this guy two years. No, no, they they won't. I, I can't even believe you guarantee him one year as your starting quarterback <laughs> for that matter. Well, but. and Ian Rappaport just tweeted that the Steelers must have been in the mix with Jimmy G, but signing Tris- Trubisky means they're out of it. I, I, I'm sorry, but like the. Oh, the trade of what you would have had to give up for Jimmy G cannot be that much to say, well, I'm out of it and I'm going to sign Mitch Trubisky because it's Jimmy G up here and Mitch Trubisky down here. Are we oh, sure? Just because he was a backup last year. I know year. we don't play the game anymore, but are we sure Mitchell Trubisky isn't as good as Jimmy Garoppolo? No. <laughs> no, I'm really not. Like, well, I, I mean, he I, got to a Super Bowl. Next year, if you told me one for one, which one's better? I'm very curious to find out where Jimmy Garoppolo ends up, but it would not surprise me if Mitchell Trubisky has a better year next year than than uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I'd put ten dollars on that that Jimmy G has a better year. Let than me find Mitch out Trubisky. where Jimmy goes because well, if Jimmy ends up, Rappaport says that the Colts are still interested. That makes sense. I I thought Risky Trubisky was going to the Giants to get beat up. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. What happened to that? I thought, I thought Brian Dable was his guy. Apparently the only so much. So I, I guess the Steelers must have ponied up with a bunch of money. I, I don't know. Uh, all right. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Hey, guys, who's your top choice right now to be the next head coach at Mizzou? Okay. Hold on, BK. all ready for the. Ugh. It's time for the BK buildup. Don't take your shirt off for this, man. It's exciting, Whoa, man. This is, this is my time to shine. I am very interested in Todd Golden, the head coach right now at the University of San Francisco. I will be very much rooting against San Francisco in the first round of the NCAA tournament as they take on Murray State, I believe. He is my top choice. There's some buzz out there right now on Dana Altman, the Oregon head coach. He's from the area. He got a start in coaching in, I think, Moberly, Missouri. It's going to cost a bleep ton of money to buy him out and to give him the contracts that he'll probably be looking for. And I think Dane Altman's like 63 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but he's a good coach. Like if you can get Dane Altman, you you go get Dane Altman. You make it work and you figure it out. And five years from now, if he retires, you move on and your program's probably in a better place than it is currently. That being said, like I I just don't know how realistic it is. I don't know how much I I buy into the idea that he's going to actually make that move from Oregon to Mizzou. So my top choice is Todd Golden. It sounds like Jerome Tang, who they're connected to a Baylor assistant right now, probably going to end up getting the job at Kansas State. If you don't get Golden, if you don't get Dana Altman, I think you probably just end up hiring Kim English and you call it a day and you see if it works. It might be a disaster, but he can get players. That's kind of where I'm at on it right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like Kim English is the one for me that makes a lot of sense because I'm thinking of recruiting and I'm thinking of keeping talent in the state of Missouri coming to the University of Missouri. But I just don't want to have to go through another another question mark. Is this the guy like I I would like to for the program's sake and the excitement of Mizzou basketball? I'd like to get the guy and the names that you got before these. I'll be honest. I don't know a whole lot about him other than just the team's success. So I'm looking at Murray State and I'm looking at Baylor's assistant and those two would be my top priority. I I feel like the Oregon one is a long shot. Correct me. Yeah. So Murray State and Baylor would be the two for me. But if you feel like San Francisco's is the guy, then that's it as well. So Todd Golden is a very young guy. I think he's like 35 years old, if I'm not mistaken. He probably gets ID'd at a bar. For sure. He he looks like Tanner. Um, That's not a negative. So he looks like he's 16. Yes. He played at St. Mary's. 
Uh, he coached then at St. Mary's, and then he ended up on Bruce Pearl's staff down at Auburn. That's Bruce pretty, Pearl's a very good recruiter. That's a good trajectory. Uh, and he knows how to play the game. So Todd Golden has seen what it looks like to recruit in the SEC. And in his third year at San Francisco, he's got them ranked in the top 25 in Ken Palm rankings. Wow. Uh, they're a top 50 offense, top 20 defense so far this year. He shoots a ton of threes. He's super analytically inclined. He's the guy that I would want to go after if I'm Mizzou. That being said, he's a big time name and he's going to get a bunch of offers. And from what I understand, he is he would prefer to stay on the West Coast if possible. What about Coach K? That's a good one. Huh? He's leaving Duke. I mean, he's got to have a job, right? I'm going to go out on a limb and say he won't be the guy. Oh, I meant Kim Anderson. Okay. Well, I didn't he's mean also that. retired. I didn't mean that. Coach Alongside Ken. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at 15 minutes, we'll play a game of In or Out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for In or Out. But next, can the Blues keep going 50-50 with their goalie split, or eventually they're going to have to make some sort of a decision one way or the other on who's their real starter? We'll talk about that coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you had to guess, which Cardinals player would you guess is getting an extended review by doctors right now to determine if their spring spring training is a little bit delayed? Miles Mustache Michaelis. That's a good guess. Uh, Dakota Hudson. Another um, another decent guess. Jack Flaherty. Nope, nope. Lock it in. I feel like I'm playing Family Feud. Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes. According to Derek Gould, <laughs> John Mosaloc just told reporters that have been feud. gathered down in uh, Jupiter. Alex Reyes has a little bit of a shoulder thing going on no. right now. And uh, they're going through extended reviews by doctors to find out if he's going to be ready for the start of spring training. Man, I, I, let's start with this. This sucks for Alex Reyes. I feel bad for the kid because it's just his body has betrayed him basically at every point. And last year, he finally had a full healthy season. And even then, it it became a mental thing for him where he just he couldn't handle the closing role. And it became very clear. He just got hit too hard. And that that wasn't the role that he was going to be best utilized in. So this year, everything going into the season, everything going into the offseason was, hey, we're going to have him stretch out. He's going to be ready to go. He can go multi-innings. We're going to have a very unique role for Alex Reyes in 2022. And for it to start this way just sucks for everybody. And it also brings into some questions of, okay, where is that length coming from in your bullpen if he's not ready to go? Because if he doesn't start spring training on time, this is not like a normal runway. Normally, okay, that's fine. He's going to be delayed by a week. You'll be fine by the start of the regular season. Man, we got three weeks till the start of the regular season. You can't be in a situation where you're delayed. If you are, I don't know if he's going to be ready to go by the opening day uh, starting point. So I do wonder if this potentially changes their plans with a guy like Jake Woodford, for example. Maybe he ends up going into your bullpen as opposed to starting out the year down in AAA, which is probably what they wanted for him to just get those innings and be a starter down there. This is really disappointing news, but unfortunately not all that surprising. And I kind of wonder, and I'm not, I just, I'm speculating here. I wonder if John Mozeliak knew this before the signing of Drew Verhagen. That would make sense. Get a guy that was going to be that swing guy. We talked about it. We thought they were going to do it anyways. But if you already knew, remember he said on, what was it, Thursday that he held the press conference after the lockout was lifted. He said, I got to figure out where my pitchers are first before we do anything free agents wise. Friday, they make the signing. It makes sense. He's a guy that may do some of that. I also, with you, I think Jake Woodford 
will probably now be starting the year in the bullpen with the St. Louis Cardinals, assuming he's healthy as well. Am I off on this to where, like, I, I just didn't expect too much from Alex Reyes this year? Because I, I – no, and here's where I was at with it. Like, I think we all can agree we didn't expect him to be in the rotation – no. And he wasn't going to be fighting for a closer spot. He was still going to have a big piece of the bullpen. I thought he was going to be your third most important bullpen arm. See, for some reason, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just because of the way last year went, and I wasn't sure what Alex Reyes' role was going to be this season. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a, this is a hit to the team, and I'll be interested. You're right. This is probably why the Verhagen and the Wittegren sign happened, but I, don't, I just don't know if I had high expectations for Alex Reyes coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, I I did. I, I didn't view it that way at all. I, I viewed him as being a guy that could be your seventh inning reliever. Like he was going to be in the role that last year you started out with uh, Henesis Cabrera. I, I think that's probably the way that I thought they were going to utilize him. And he would kind of like Henesis early on where he was going multiple innings a couple of times. I thought that would be what they would do with Reyes and they would be able to go two, maybe three innings here or there. And He'd be kind of that. I know Derek Gould said it was like a shadow rotation. If anybody in their bullpen figured to be that kind of a player, it, in my opinion, was going to be Alex Reyes. Also, over the last two years, I mean, you look at what his numbers are. I know that there have been blowups by Alex Reyes, but he has a 3.2 ERA over the last two years in 90 innings. I mean, that that's a super solid reliever. We forget he was an all-star last year, too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why I... I viewed him as a pretty, I would agree, with PK, the third most important arm in the bullpen. I didn't exactly know what his role was going to be because they, I, we knew that they wanted to stretch him out, but because spring training's short and it made that a little bit more difficult. But, I mean, the ceiling for him is all-star potential. I mean, he does have electric stuff. It was just a matter of, could he get there? But then you get the ceiling where it's, you know, what you saw in the second half where the command wasn't there, he just can't get guys out, and now he's dealing with another injury. So hopefully he's going to be able to return and be effective now. I would say he is going to be limited probably to just a one-inning role again coming out of your bullpen. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, John Mosellock said that Alex Reyes is the only player that is dealing with an injury, so that's that's good news. I, I would have to imagine that's a positive report on both Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, and Jordan Hicks as well. So if you're looking for a silver lining, I, I guess that would be it. Uh, there's also this from Katie Wu, who will be joining us coming up in about 15, 20 minutes. According to Katie Wu, it's nearly a full camp for the Cardinals, though Hennessy Cabrera is still traveling. Giovanni Gallegos is away for personal reasons. Yadier Molina also has not reported yet for personal reasons. That's according to Ali Marmol. Uh, he's expected to arrive. Yadier Molina is at some point within the next few days. So it sounds like... As of now, uh, they should be good to go when it comes to everybody reporting. All right, let's get to the Blues here for a second, Alex. What do you do with the goalie situation? Because right now they are splitting this 50-50 is the way that they've been doing it. And I've been wondering kind of to myself, how long can you keep going with that type of a split? Because now you've got, what is it, 25 games left in the regular season? You're starting to get into the stretch run. You've got about six weeks remaining in the regular season can you keep going this way or at some point do you have to make a determination on who your true number one is? I mean, I feel like at some point you're going to have to make that determination, but you do have a lot of games being played in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they get a three-day break right now before they play on Thursday, and then you get a two-day break Sunday and Monday, and then you go into a stretch where I think you only have two game or two in-betweens where you have at least two days off. So they got a lot of games coming up. But I do think you're going to have to make a decision at some point. Now, you have three back-to-backs in the month of April. I'm sorry, four back-to-backs in the month of April. So both goalies are going to get some work. But for me, I kind of felt like Craig Berube and the staff showed their hand over this past week with with their decisions. 
because you played Billy Huso against the Rangers. I expected Bennington to play against Nashville and they played Billy Huso against Nashville. And then of course, Bennington got the start against the Winnipeg Jets, at least from my understanding. And I might be off on this. Maybe Craig Bruby just went with the hot hand. Billy Huso played a starter's role in these last three games. He played against two of the top teams that you were going up against. And on top of it, you got the back-to-back the second game, which is notoriously the backups game. That was for Jordan Bennington. So I'm not saying Jordan Bennington's the backup. I think he's going to be used. Um, but at least for me, I, I think they, they showed their hand in the sense of Vili Huso got the starter's role in these last three games. I think they've got two more weeks to make this determination. I think April 1st is right around when you want to know. I th- That last month, at that point in time, you'll have made whatever moves it is that it, that are possible going into the trade deadline, and you got one more month to really have that push. And the, I think the playoffs start right around May 1st. I think April 1st for me is kind of that target date that I would be looking for, and also with the schedule setting up the way that it does there, You've got a game at Edmonton. That's going to be a tough one in terms of the offense that you're going up against. Then you go straight out to Calgary. We've all seen how much firepower they have. And down the stretch, this team plays some really good opponents. Minnesota a couple of times, Nashville, Boston, Anaheim, Colorado, Vegas. Like You've got the, some of the better teams in the Western Conference on your schedule down the stretch. I think at that point, you're going to want to know, okay, who is our number one guy and what are we going to go with? There's no way they can go back and forth in the playoffs, right? We all oh, agree yeah. at some point you you do have to make a determination like this is our guy and we're standing behind him. No, I mean, that's that's the common way to go about it. But there's a way that you can do that. I mean, we've seen teams do it in the past. The Pittsburgh Penguins did it when they had two different goaltenders. Wasn't that injury related, though? No, I, I think it was. I think it was Mark Andre Fleury just had a bad series, and Matt Murray stepped in. But I, I, I think it's more. Washington of, Capitals did it with Holtby and Grubauer. I, I think you can do it when someone struck. If someone goes through a cold spell and you have to make that decision quickly, I don't think you can go where it's all right. Huso's game one, Bennington's game two. Huso's game three, Bennington's game four. Yeah, but you're four. doing. But you can't do that because, like, throughout a regular season, it's usually a number one guy and a number two guy. Like, it's very rare that they do that in the playoffs when they did that in the right. Like, that's. The Blues have done that in the regular season with both guys. So, I mean, you could see a situation where that's like it. I don't see Craig Berube doing it because, I mean, it's normal to have a goaltender that you build momentum off of. But I I, I can't read this with a team. The only part that I can read is what took place over the week because I really thought it was going to be Huso, Bennington, Huso. And when they went Huso, Huso, and he had a lot of work in that Rangers game. It's not like he wasn't really overworked. I was really surprised to see Huso get that start against Nashville. Interesting. Well, that's something worth monitoring over the next few games and certainly over the next few weeks. Uh, Blues off for a few days. They get back in action on Thursday night and a big game against Pittsburgh. Excited to watch the rematch of that one. The last time around uh, was a lot of fun, even though the results didn't go the Blues way. You'll hear that right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN Thursday night pregame with Alex at six. We'll have the puck drop here at seven o'clock. In 15 minutes, we'll talk to Katie Wu about the news of the day with Alex Reyes, what that means for the Cardinals' plans in the bullpen, and also what her read is on the Blues, or excuse me, the Cardinals' handling of their DH situation. That's all coming up with Katie Wu at 12.30. In or out, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. (laughs) 
65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Let's start out with this one, boys. John Denton, the new Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com, just tweeted this out. When asked about potentially adding to the roster via free agency, Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosaloc, said his organization would continue to monitor the available players in the shifting markets, but he's going to be guided by this principle. Quote, we like our team. End quote. Oh, great. Put In that on out, a t-shirt. The Cardinals are done adding players externally to this current roster. Well, I like cake, but I love gooey butter cake. There's a difference between the two Touché. here. With that being said, I'm out on this team adding anymore. I think they're where it's at. You'll probably see a a, a, a pitching ad like we just saw to their bat, if that makes sense. You're going to get one of those quote-unquote low-hanging fruits. fruits. Yeah. Hopefully it's Colin Moran because I like that ad. But that's going to be their only move. So uh, when Mo says those three words, you could pretty much bet on not getting one of those big time players. Yeah, that's about where I am. So I'm out on this. I, I'm not sure they're getting someone on a one year, like five plus million dollar deal. Come I, on, boys. I would be <laughs> I lost the faith. You know I, that. Yeah. You know, Mo takes me through these emotional yeah. roller coasters and seeing the comments over the weekend well, and now hearing the them now. news leaks that are saying that they might assign Trevor Story? I've seen those. Look, it I, says they've had contact with him. They called his agent and said, hey, we're not interested in you. And then they moved on. And then they said, hey, guess what? The Cardinals have interest in us. So well, the Cardinals called us. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sorry, Cardinal Nation, but I'm out on this one. I, I think yeah. it's like what Alex said, probably a guy like Colin Moran, one year, probably less than $5 million if they're going to add somebody. I like Colin Moran, though. Go go CM. I, I like Colin Moran would be my second favorite addition that they've made this offseason. Who would be your first? Steven Matz. Steven Matz is a good sign. Oh, oh I, I thought you meant moves that they could make still. No, 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 no. You Col- didn't seem like you liked Steven Matz very much when it happened. Guys, I completely forgot about you're the Steven Matz. You're like, this cool. I mean, that, that's what it is, though. Like, he's he's the best version of the guys that they signed a year ago. Someone texted in 618 said, I'm 100% yes. Mo didn't say no. Oh, 618. Don't get don't get pulled into this. We've gotten pulled into this way too much. We like our team. Okay. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Uh, let's get to this one. In or out, Mizzou's next basketball coach is currently in the NCAA tournament. For their sake, I hope so. I think I'll say I'm in on this. I don't know who it's going to be. I, I actually, Murray State's head coach has been rumored, right? Mm-hmm. I like that. I actually wonder if he's the guy. I don't know why he'd leave Murray State, but I don't know if the San Francisco coach is going to leave. That, that's my thing, especially if he wants to stay out west. Granted, he probably does want to leave in that conference in Gonzaga because I saw them play Gonzaga. He didn't stand a chance. Yeah, no. So here's my here's my concern about hiring a coach from Murray State. Everybody at Murray State has success. Everybody. Started with Mark Gottfried. He ended up getting the job at Alabama. Didn't go all that well. Ended up getting the job at NC State. He's now at Cal State Northridge for a reason. (laughs) Mick Cronin got the job there. Now, Mick Cronin is a genuinely really good basketball coach. He's at UCLA now, went to Cincinnati afterwards. It worked out great. Billy Kennedy got the job at Murray State. He had success at Murray State and then ended up at Texas A&M, and, you know, he's not their coach anymore. Steve Prom got the job at Murray State. He ended up having success there. Had a little bit of success early on at Iowa State. We get it, BK. They're and not then he got successful. fired at Iowa Are State after me? going. I'm hearing that two of them two, had success. Two and 22 last year at Iowa State. All right, well, forget about oh that God. one. That was just a And now Matt one-off. McMahon took over, and he's been really solid so far. But he's only made the tournament twice. It's not as if he's having overwhelming success at Murray State. I don't know, man. I 
It'd be a fine hire. It wouldn't inspire a ton of confidence for me, though. But I do think that their coach is currently in the NCAA tournament because it's more than just him. I, whether it be the assistant at Baylor, if it's the head coach at San Francisco. When Longwood goes on a long run, then maybe they'll, out go, Longwood. they'll go look That's for that guy. That's what I'm calling. I think somebody that is currently in the NCAA tournament will end up being the next head coach at the University yeah, of Missouri. I'm with you. I'm in on that as well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Mitchell Trubisky leads the Steelers to the playoffs this upcoming season. Out. I don't. The AFC is just so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I mean, I know. Who's missing the playoff or who's. So Who are they gonna knock well, out seven teams? So I mean, just Buffalo. look at their division. They got to deal with the Bengals and the Ravens. Are we sure the Bengals are gonna make playoffs? Oh my god! Enough with they you and Zach Taylor. Enough with you and the Zach Taylor hate. Baltimore probably gets in. I think Cleveland probably gets in. Three of the teams in the AFC you West are getting Cleveland in. Gets in. Yeah, with their starting quarterback Deshaun Watson. Tennessee will get in. That's not happening. Yeah. Kansas City will get in. The Chargers will get in. Yeah, I think no. the Broncos are. Who the hell is not getting? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm out on this. You don't even have to keep going through this. So we've got three teams getting in from the, the West. Denver, the Chargers, the uh, Chiefs. I've got what I believe to be at least two teams from the North. I've got Baltimore and Cleveland, but I know some will say Cincinnati. We'll see. Buffalo's getting in. Tennessee, somebody has to get in from the South. There's your teams. Pittsburgh's going to be picking in the top 15 next year. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see how they don't. Top 10, maybe. I'm out on this. I don't think they get into the playoffs. Hell, with Mitch Trubisky, they might be picking top five. I mean, yeah, potentially. <laughs> in the AFC? <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I'm out on this, too. I don't see Mitchell. He's not going to make that much of a difference. They're, well, they're going to have to build significantly around him for them to be contenders in the AFC just to get that last playoff spot. So, no, I'm out on this. I don't think they're a playoff team. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the single most important player for the Cardinals this year is Jack Jack Flaherty. I'm going to hold off on this. Oh, man, I wanted to answer this one. We've got our 20 most important players for the 2022 season. I do believe we'll be starting that within the next couple of days. We We put our list together. Was it harder or easier for you guys to do it than it was a year ago? It was so much harder. I don't know what half the guy's roles are on this team. <laughs> so it was much I, I harder. I did mine at like 1.30 in the morning. Though, so it was just hard in general. I will say this. Alex forgot a very significant player from the roster. Did it not was, have him on his it, list. It wasn't on purpose. It was more so I did it at on Thursday after OB Clark's when I knew I had to uh, send team the next morning. That's not true. You yeah. didn't send it to me till the weekend. Oh, busted. <laughs> Wow, I must not have I must not have sent it. You sat on Friday morning when we got to Centene that you didn't have it done, and so you would do it over the weekend. I, I, I do remember the, that actually. I got the top ten done over the weekend. I guess I I don't know. It was a long weekend, man. I got the top ten done. The top ten was easy, and then after that, it was in or out. Alex impossible. doesn't know where he is because over the weekend he had single daddy duty. Oh, I'm totally in on that. He has no idea where he's at. <laughs> How'd it go, buddy? Through three games in four days on top of having a Centene or a uh, OB Clarks I, thing. That was, a, that was a long weekend. I knew he was in for a long one because I think it was Friday. He was running a little bit behind. And, he, and he, I remember him saying, quote, she just threw a fork across the kitchen oh, for man. no reason. <laughs> and I went, he's feeding, in for a long weekend. Feeding a one-year-old by yourself is impossible. <laughs> it, it, it's gotten to the point now where this kid doesn't want to eat anything, and she just takes the fork. My baby's got a throwing arm. She might be a softball player because she's got there an arm. Go. Lefty or righty? 
A uh, little bit of both. We need to work uh-huh. on that left hand she's, a little more. She, she's unsure right now, but she's got she's got a cannon on the right. Like she looks like Henry mm, Rowan no. Gardner from Rookie of the can, Year. If you can throw left handed, you'll always have a role in the. We got to get that left hand hey, going. She picks up a lot of toys with a lefty, but I'm telling you, with that righty, she looks like Henry Rowan Gardner. She maybe chucked she that forward across the kitchen. Maybe she'd become one of those ambidextrous pitchers. Ooh, could go either way. Yeah. Like I said, a, a switch thrower, if you will. Yeah. Like Alongside I said, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up here in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, very excited to have our friend, the Cardinals insider for the athletic, Katie Wu, join the show. She'll give us the latest on Alex Reyes. What is this injury that he's dealing with? And what's this mean for the Cardinals bullpen? We'll ask Katie next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, the Cardinals insider for the athletic. She is Katie Wu joining us live from Jupiter, Florida. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. It's so good to finally be able to talk real baseball with you again. How are you doing this morning? Gentlemen, isn't it so nice? Like not to be some sort of walking cliche, but <laughs> I'm, I'm out in the backfields uh, at the first day of Cardinals camp. I can hear uh, batting practice taking taking place behind me. All these stands are crowded around to watch Arenado take BP in the field diagonal from me. Gloves are popping, sun's out. It's just, it's baseball season, and it really feels like it today. Katie, what's the difference for Katie Wu as a first-year Cardinals beat writer to a second-year Cardinals beat writer? Are you in the best shape of your life, Katie? Probably, I would imagine. I am absolutely not even close to the best shape <laughs> of my life. That's what beat writing does to you. News to me. Um, but, you know, it's so funny, guys. This is actually my first day of Cardinals spring training because I wasn't hired until the team broke camp last year. So I've never actually done a Cardinal spring training. So I was so excited to feel like year two, confident, comfortable. I know what I'm doing. I show up to spring training. I have no clue. It's been a very humbling experience today. Well, confident and comfortable is what we were hoping for from Alex Reyes. Unfortunately, it sounds like he showed up with some sort of a shoulder issue. Katie, can you tell us a little bit about what happened and what John Mosellock had to say about Alex Reyes' status as he uh, showed up with some sort of a shoulder issue? Yeah, you know, we just talked to Mo about 20 minutes ago. He addressed the media, and he, all he was able to say was that Reyes is getting an extended look on his shoulder. They're not sure. It could be nothing. It could be a little bit, something a little bit more severe. This is, unfortunately, the reality that clubs are going to have, and not just Cardinal specific, throughout this early spring and this condensed spring, as, as pitchers are going to show up and teams aren't going to have any idea what shape they're in. Obviously, the, the hope is that Alex's issue is, is something minor and something that can be fixed. They don't have a lot of information right now. I imagine that we'll hear some more tomorrow or within the next couple of days. But obviously not a good sign as they were looking at Alex to be a potential starter, at least a potential piggyback option as the team breaks camp in a couple weeks. And so, Katie, with that news, do you feel like that the two bullpen pitchers that were signed over the last couple of days was protection for this Alex Reyes? Or or was this the direction, in your opinion, that the Cardinals were going all along? No, I think this is the direction the Cardinals were going all along. Um, I do think, I mean, they, they identified before the lockout after signing Stephen Matz that their next expectation was to lock up some bullpen help, some relief arms. I think, and I know that we floated around Joe Kelly, we floated around Ryan Tatera. I think what we saw after the lockout was the demand for the relief market was really high. I mean, you saw Joe Kelly sign for two years, $17 million. 
um, Maria Familia, who the Cardinals did check up, check up in on, uh, signed for $6 million over one year. So when you get these new signings that they have in, in Wickard and, and Verhagen, those are signs, signings that were much cheaper, much more financially feasible, that allowed the Cardinals a little bit more depth, but also allowed them to have a little bit of versatility throughout their, their bullpen. So I think that's where the signings were. I don't think they were anticipating any issues with Alex. Obviously, though, you know, it would be uh, close to a miracle if a camp broke into the spring um, without at least one pitcher having some sort of minor issue. So obviously they look like better signings now. You're a little bit more comfortable knowing that if something does happen to Alex, you have those depth options. But I don't think that was the primary reasoning in acquiring those arms. Katie, were you at all surprised that Wickren is what they ended up with? Because uh, like you mentioned, we had been talking about some of the maybe higher end arms on the market. And I I think this team deserves just full disclosure. I think they deserve the uh, benefit of the doubt after what we saw last year. I don't think anybody was super excited about them picking up Luis Garcia or TJ McFarland, uh, Wade LeBlanc. Like those guys weren't exactly sought after commodities. So this could work out great for them. But I was a little surprised, honestly, that their last bullpen arm was a a guy that they could get for one year and $1.2 million who had a really tough season last year. No, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think fan skepticism is warranted um, when you see the Cardinals being tied to Joe Kelly or Ryan Tapera, who hasn't signed yet, but likely remains out of the Cardinals reach at this point since they signed those two other players. Um, and even Brad Boxberger, who signed for a team-friendly deal with the Brewers, um, you're, you're kind of, as a fan, going, well, then why do they get these guys who weren't the, the names mentioned, right? But when you look at what the Cardinals did with T.J. McFarland, perfect example, and Luis Garcia, you saw they were able to get conservative signings and save their money, and they were able to turn those pitchers, their track record around, into something that was very successful. I mean, T.J. McFarland's second half of 2021 got him another year with the Cardinals. So... Let's give this organization the benefit of the doubt. We've seen what's happened when you are able to work with um, eventually Yadier Molina, who was, they hope, reporting to camp over the next couple of days, and, of course, the star of defense behind them. Um, I, I think these are exactly the kind of mo moves that we've come to expect from this organization, and the hope is that you know it'll be able to work out for them. I know it's a short sample size, Katie, because, of course, you're just getting a lot of guys reporting today or getting down to Jupiter over this last couple of days with all the negotiations leading up to this, but what have you seen so far? I know Nolan Arenado was taking some BP earlier today. You're starting to see the starting pitchers get into the ballpark. You're starting to see the full roster round out. Yeah, you know, I, almost a full day of camp here. Like I mentioned, Yachty is, is going, they, the team hopes to report soon, dealing with some personal issues. Uh, so is Gio. Giovanni Gallegos will be around by Thursday, they think. And Hennessy Cabrera, we've all been there. His fight got canceled. So hopefully he, he will get here pretty soon. But it's, it's pretty surreal to just look around. I'm looking on the backfields right now, and I'm hearing BP. Arnada's taking BP. Adam Wainwright set to throw the first live bullpen session of the year in a couple of minutes. A little teaser of what's coming. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see this camp in, in nearly full form, a lot of healthy guys back. And, and I think, you know, the best part about spring training, even with the, the pessimism and the, the cynicism of the lockout, is that it just really does symbolize a lot of hope and optimism. And this Cardinals team, when we talked to Ollie Marmel today, uh, before we got out to the backfield, they are so convicted, this is what he said, in winning. And I know this is what every team says, or at least what every team should say on the first day of a spring workout. But the way Ollie communicated with us was that he was very impressed with how his clubhouse seemed so convicted in their ability to win, not just the division, but the World Series. Um, they they very, are very confident in what they can do this season, and it, it'll be exciting to see that kind of take form over the next couple of weeks. 
We're talking to Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Katie, you last follow up on the bullpen, because as I was looking at it earlier today, I, I just kind of made the assumption, OK, I think they're done here. Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes, Helsley, McFarland, Verhagen, Wiggren. Those are your top seven. And then there's obviously guys that are going to be battling for that eighth spot as well. Is your impression that the Cardinals are basically done adding to their pitching staff at this point? Or do you think there are potentially more moves to be made there? I think so. I think they are pretty confident in, in what they've done with their bullpen. They've got the relief depth that they wanted and identified early on before the lockout. And you have to remember, when it looks at these at these signings that, you know, Verhagen was two years, 5.5 million, uh, Wittgren was 1.2 million, it doesn't seem like they're committing much. But let's look about what this team is dealing with their young stars a huge majority due for a major raise in arbitration and like Jack Flaherty, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, they're all due for raises in arbitration, which will take place weirdly enough during the season this year. So that's another thing to keep in mind. They took on a, a bigger chunk of Nolan Arnado's contract. Like there are flexible financial pieces that they have to be aware of when they sign late, when they make these signings. So, of course, I understand it's, it's disappointing to not have had a Joe Kelly reunion um, or, or anything along those lines. But when you look at the amount of money they still have left to allocate, while maybe potentially not being done all the way on the free agent market, we're not quite sure. It does make sense on why they, they did this incremental signings there. So I guess that kind of answers my next question then, Katie, because I know a lot of Cardinals fans are asking, you know, what about that next bat? Could they go after a Kyle Schwarber or if the Trevor Story market drops to a one-year deal? We've seen John or heard John Mosaloc say that he likes this team. Does this kind of put the Cardinals out of that market and more of an internal option in that position? I think that's always been the preferred way this organization has, has wanted to look at their DH. I think a lot when, you know, it's difficult because you take a gamble here. You're relying on a lot of your young talent and Lars Newbar, Nolan Gorman is a potential candidate for the opening day roster. Juan Yepes could be, he's on the, um, the active or the 40 man roster, excuse me. So there's a lot relying on their internal young candidates. And if you go out there and get a Kyle Schwarber, who obviously is a, an immediate fix, you know what you're going to get, but you then risk the potential of blocking so many of your young stars. So I think it's, it's kind of weighing out the options here. Um, I know the Cardinals haven't really made a lot of splashy moves in the, during the trade deadline. No offense to John Lester and Jay Hop of last year. Um, but that is a, a possibility, right? They could open camp with their young internal candidates. And if another bat is needed around the all-star or around the trade deadline, excuse me, they could elect to go in that direction. Um, I wouldn't rule out the Cardinals being entirely out on a DH. I do think if they decide to go outside the organization, though, it won't be a huge name. It'll be another incremental increase like we've seen with the bullpen. So Colin Moran. All right. (laughs) Hey, I didn't say anything. Is that the kind of signing, though, that you think is at least reasonable for this type of a team? Is a Colin Moran level like one year, two, three, four million bucks? I mean, that certainly seems around the price range. But if you're going to ask me personally, I don't think that they explore the DH market. I think they're very confident with their young internal candidates. I wrote them down the athletic a couple of weeks ago about how they could essentially go DH by committee. I mean, they're very confident what Paul Young is going to be able to do next year. There is a chance that they could slide him in as a DH and let Sosa play shortstop every now and then. There's a lot of moving parts here, and I think that's something that we're going to see Ollie Marmel really play into are the matchups and the ability to to kind of play each side and, and finagle the lineup in ways that we haven't really seen in years prior. You mentioned Nolan Gorman earlier, Katie. What's the plan? What are the expectations in your mind for him early in the season? Do you think there's a real chance that he could break camp with the big league club, or is this going to be a situation where he goes down to AAA, he spends about a month down there, and then later on they're able to bring him up? 
I think a lot of that will depend on if Major League Baseball and the 30 teams vote to expand their rosters in April just to make up for the, the shortened spring. I think if you have an extended roster and Gorman seems like he can hold his own during this, this short spring, it certainly doesn't hurt to bring him up. But, however, at the same time, we know how cognizant this organization is about their top prospects and not hindering any development. If, it, if spring rolls around and we see Gorman struggle, which I saw him during minor league camp, he did not show really any signs of struggling. Um, of course, minor league camp and major league camp are very different. But I think um, it will really ultimately dictate Gorman staying up or staying down on how he does this spring and if rosters expand. Final thing for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. And thanks so much for the time today. We've had a million different texts that have come in <laughs> saying that I've got to ask you this question. So I, I will go ahead and I do so. It. I love it. Even though I know exactly what the answer is going to be. No, you don't. There are some random reports that apparently the Cardinals are checking in on Trevor Story if oh, he yeah, ends up taking a one-year deal. Is there any chance of the Cardinals signing Trevor Story? You know what? Let me just say I love Cardinals fans because it was like <laughs> six thirty in the morning, and my Twitter was blowing up. And I have this like you know this rule in the morning where I don't I try not to check Twitter too much. I try to enjoy my day at least for an hour. And I was like, what is going on? And it was like every single mention, announced story, announced story. And I was like, guys, it is six thirty in the morning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, I never want to say never, but it, it certainly looks like this Cardinals team is very happy with their plethora of middle infield options. And, again, they are really confident in Paul DeYoung. Uh, obviously, there is the, the Arenado story connection, um, but I wouldn't read too much into it. I think they are very confident with who they have at shortstop. That's interesting. All right, Katie, we'll be checking your workout over at The Athletic. People should be subscribing over there. If you haven't yet, now's the time to do so. It's baseball season. Katie's going to have unbelievable work over there. Be sure to check it out. You can also follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, it's fantastic to be able to catch up with you about real baseball news once again. Thanks so much for joining us today. Guys, it was a true pleasure. I'm looking forward to doing this more. Enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thanks, Same to you. That's Katie Wu joining us live from down in Jupiter, Florida, here on 101 ESPN. All right. One quick takeaway from our conversation with Katie before we get We're to the juncture on the story. other side. Yeah, Story and Schwarber are out. Colin Moran's in. Yeah. Josh Harrison. Oh, no, wait. He signed. He already signed. $5 million. He got paid. That's wah, too much. Wah, wah. Okay. I don't have an issue with the Cardinals going this route. I don't. Except, <laughs> but if it fails, you have to make a big move at the deadline. That's that's my only prerequisite. And in the past, that has not been what they have decided to do. They say at the beginning of the year, hey, what our season, what our team looks like at the beginning of the year is not what our team will look like at the end of the year. And most of the time, that's because they brought up a few different guys from AAA. There are very few significant in season moves over the last decade that have been made by the Cardinals front office. And that's okay, whatever, it is what it is. But if your stated plan going into the year is to find out what these young guys can do and whether or not they can handle the DH spot, that is a totally reasonable plan to have. I get that. But if it goes poorly, you better be prepared to trade for a Nelson Cruz or uh, this year's version of Kyle Schwarber, whoever that guy is, the lefty or switch hitter, that's on a one-year deal that could come in and change the complexion of your lineup. You've got to be willing to go make that move. Because if you're not... You're just lying to all of us at the beginning of the season. So that that's the way that I look at this right now. I don't have an issue with it as long as you're willing to on the back and make good on your promise. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. But what always worries me is when you get to the trade deadline, the excuse comes out of, well, there's a lot of teams looking for that and we don't want to 
uh, what's what, what's the way that John Mozeliak, you flood the market, so to speak, when it comes to the trade deadline. So it always concerns me when it gets to this. We saw it firsthand this past trade deadline where they needed pitching help. And granted, it worked for them, but they didn't go for those big fish. They went for the lesser tiers. And I think that's the same case can be made with the offense. They'll sit there and continue to say, well, we still got Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker and these guys. It may not have worked out with the players that are here, but we still believe in them. So we'll add these little pieces to help. Yeah, and I'm with you guys. I I have not had an issue with going young uh, for the Cardinals, going with these young options at DH and all that at all this offseason, but it comes down to the trade deadline. Are you willing to do what the Braves did last year? And that is the biggest question mark. Braves could have easily punted on their season. They didn't. They went out and made small moves. It's not like they gave up any of their top prospects in the process. I think they gave up like one or two top 30 guys. Those guys are cheap. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the big splash. If it's just a guy that's going to come in, like a Jock Peterson, for example, you bring him in at the deadline, he provides a little bit of a spark to a team. Next thing you know, the Braves go on to win a World Series. So they have to be willing to do that this season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, how do the Cardinals handle their plans at DH? And if they decide to go with the internal options, what are reasonable expectations for those guys? We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the juncture. Alex, what do you got for us today? So man? Did you guys ever collect things when you were younger thinking that ah, this might be worth something one day? Yeah, like the Beanie Babies, right? That became a big thing. What did you be- call them? I, my Beanie? voice. I don't know what happened. Oh, there. I thought Beanie that was babies. like a like a, a crown. No, thing. I don't know what just happened. I, wait, okay. did you got a stroke mid sentence? I just thought it was did a crown. Did you collect thing. Beanie Babies? Did no, you? but that was a big thing for people no. where they were like collecting the Beanie Babies and they were sold for like crazy oh, yeah, amounts of money. My grandma used to have a ton of them and they'd be like worth a a jackload of money. Well, the reason I bring this up is Coins because were a big one too. Remember the ones where the, the quarters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to collect those, and then I like stopped midway through. And I'm like, why did I even start collecting these? And now I just I used them as like you know vending machine change, which probably wasn't smart. Anyway, so did either of you collect Pokemon cards? Uh, yeah, I did yeah. actually when I was growing up. No. Well, you were Tanner, probably, you probably missed that. The, yeah. yeah. So the so I, I was the same way. Mm-hmm. I collected them all the time, and you know, I don't. Some people thought they were worth something. I think I sold mine in a garage sale for like twenty five dollars. Couldn't tell you what happened to mine. Well, apparently there was one individual who sold a Charizard card that was a a number four rare card. He bought it for $25,000, and it just sold for $336,000. And I saw this article, and I'm thinking, my dumb self when I was younger didn't take care of things. Because, like, video games I've seen be yeah, sold for in games. 500K, these cards that get sold. I was such an idiot when I was a kid. If I just would have left things in their box and not played with them, I probably would have more money right now. So this is like the, speaking of collector's items, did you see the story over the weekend about Tom Brady's final touchdown pass ball? Well, that's... What a As a goner. <laughs> Hours before Brady announced that he was going to be coming back and he was not actually retiring, his final touchdown pass, presumably at that point of his career, 
sold for $518,000 at an auction. Honestly, that's not on the individual. That's on Tom Brady. Shame on him for coming out of retirement. You ruined that man's life. $518,000. Ruined that man's life. Can't imagine having almost half or more than half a million to just spend on a collector's item. That's crazy. But Tom Brady's got to make good, right? He's got to buy this ball. I would say so. That's the the way you do this, right? You have to buy that ball. It's good PR for you. He did the thing with a kid who who got that touchdown pass at the the beginning and made it work with him. You got to do this. You got to find a way to make this guy whole. You ruined it. Yeah, yeah, this is on Tom Brady for ruining that man. Give him a better idea of when your actual retirement will be, and then he can go buy that football. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by JT Brown. He's the TV color analyst for the Seattle Kraken, former NHL forward as well. Want to ask him what his thoughts are on the Kraken's plans as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. But coming up next, how are the Cardinals going to handle their DH situation? Seems pretty clear at this point. They're not going to go out and get one of the top end DH options. Are they going to explore the middle tier market? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I met with Paulie prior to the lockout. You know, we told him we thought he could be our shortstop. We, we, we want to give him that vote of confidence. Um, obviously, there's going to be some competition in this camp with even somebody like Amundo Sosa. But in terms of like going outside of that, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense for us. And, you know, ultimately, he wants to prove he can get back to where he once was. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mosellock over the weekend on MLB Network Radio. He was asked about the Cardinals' plans at the shortstop position, and he basically stopped him in their tracks. And now I don't think we're going to be playing in that market. So there you go, Mo. Break down the optimism immediately. I know that there are some reports out there. I don't know how valid they are, but there are some reports that suggest the Cardinals have at least checked in on Trevor Story. Now, something to keep in mind if you're a fan and you're seeing these reports is that could be as simple as the Cardinals called their agent and were like, hey, what's the price look like? And if the price was $5 million, I have a feeling the Cardinals would be interested in Trevor Story suddenly. The price very likely is not that low. Even if he signs a one-year deal, it's probably going to be $20-plus million for Trevor Story. And they probably say, okay, cool, let us know if that changes. And they hang up the phone and they decide to go their other way. That's basically what John Mosellock indicated in that answer is, no, we're not interested in the shortstop market because there's only one guy really that's available anymore at their price, and that would be Trevor Story. Alex, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I'm disappointed by it, though. Like, if you if we end up getting to a place where Carlos Correa re-signs with the Astros and Trevor Story signs like a one-year $20 million deal with the Twins, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed that the Cardinals weren't in, in, involved in those talks. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how this works, too, because I told myself all offseason that it wasn't going to happen. I'm thinking they're not going to get Carlos Correa. They're not going to get Corey Seager. The hope is Trevor Story, but I don't see that happening. But like, was the hope different for you if it was a one-year deal? Like, if I told you at the beginning of the offseason, Trevor Story is going to sign a one-year contract. You, maybe it would have been a little bit more hopeful until they came out and said, we backed the the, the, the Paul DeYoung horse here. And, 
and that's where it's so frustrating because I like I told myself that don't get invested in this. But yeah, <laughs> it still broke me down when I hear John Mozeliak say that because I know that they've got Paul DeYoung and they see a good future with him to get back to his former all-star self. I know that they have Edmundo Sosa and we all liked Sosa this past year, mm-hmm. but I don't think we were invested in Yep, there's your answer at shortstop. So yeah, it does. It does bum me out a little bit because I thought that the Trevor story possibility was still there. And I think I'm just more bummed on the bat side of things with the DH invested in that as well. And now talking with Katie Wu and of course, hearing them talk about the outside help it just it it ta- it knocks me down a peg because I thought that they were going to invest in upgrading that offense if they were going to go for the World Series, and now it just seems like it's going to be that minuscule asset. Yeah, I, I mean it is kind of a bummer because I mean you look at it, and I, I I understand where the Cardinals are coming from, hoping that you know, hey, he was an All Star, and there have been a bit of I don't want to call it excuses, but you could see okay, well he had the he had COVID in the shortened season, he had the rib injury last year as well. Maybe that is the issue for him. And you've got him on this long-term contract. You want to make it work. But when you have a guy that's 14% below league average over the last two seasons, it's hard to it's hard to sell us on that. And that's where it's a little bit frustrating, especially because, look, I like Edmundo Sosa as well. I thought he played really well. I, in fact, had him on my top 20 list from last season. I had him at number 20. But I just think you look at it and you say, okay, that's clearly the biggest hole on this team. I mean, you look at the rest of this, the lineup and you can kind of point at well, maybe Bader needs to improve a little bit of that, but he's great defensively. I, I just see it as the the bigger hole. There's no like solution to me in the system that it's an everyday starter. Maybe Mason win, but he's a couple years away. And then you look at that free agent market, and I could have convinced myself, hey, they would sign Trevor Story because you have that Nolan Arnato connection. And even though I don't buy into this at all, I'm sure this sold some of the fans of, well, Arnato's got the opt-out, so maybe he can help push the front office towards this. I think it's a very disappointing offseason not to get one of the shortstops. I'm not saying it's a failure by any means, and I'm not taking that into my grade on the offseason when it's finished, but it's very disappointing as Cardinals fans to see them not be willing to spend money on what is clearly a very big hole for this team. Who do you think's more frustrated today? Cardinals fans or Braves fans? Ooh. This was just announced. Braves fans. According to Jeff Passan, Atlanta and Oakland have agreed to a deal that will send Matt Olson to the Braves. Now, Matt Olson's a good player, objectively, no doubt about it. He's a guy that over in the last four full seasons in which he, or last three full seasons in which he has played, it's about a 260 hitter with a OPS plus that's around 132. That's like Nolan Arenado levels of production. It's really good. He's a very good player. However, he's not Freddie Freeman. And this deal... Sending Matt Olson to Atlanta essentially ends any hope of Freddie Freeman going back to the Braves. He's very likely going to be a Dodger. Oh, God. So get excited about that. (laughs) What the hell? Come on. Freddie Freeman almost certainly is going to be a Dodger. And now you've got Matt Olson down with the Braves. Just go to the Yankees, Freddie. They're probably going to get Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo. Oh, well, that's fine. Where does this? These are two big time moves in the National League. How do the Cardinals stack up with these teams now? As we're getting like the, the offseason not over yet, but most of the big name guys are now pretty much off the market for the most part. Where would you guys stack the Cardinals up compared to the other competitors in the NL now? Well, if the Dodgers are getting Freddie Friedman, the Dodgers are number one. And then I think you got to skip down two or three pegs before you talk about the number two team. Um, I think that hurts Atlanta more than anything. I, I mean, and I don't know. I don't know how much locker room chemistry you can put into perspective with baseball, 
But, like, I mean, you're losing the voice of the Braves over the long period of time. And, I mean, the difference here is you got five years younger and Matt Olson over at, over Freddie Freeman. But And, he, uh, honestly, might be a better hitter. Certainly has more power. Freddie Freeman is just consistent. I'm totally as all with you. I'm totally with you. I would have re-signed Freddie Freeman. Yeah. I, I, I think I would put the... I feel like I would have the Atlanta Braves still a bit above the Cardinals, but I'd have the Cardinals closer now without Freddie Freeman on that list. But for me, I, mean, I think you got the Dodgers at number one. I think you're going to have the Padres and the Atlanta Braves probably number two close by, and then I'd have the Cardinals and Brewers around number three. Oh, see, I even got to throw the Mets in there too. Oh yeah, I forgot. But yeah, the Mets are going to be up there with the Dodgers, especially after they I've acquired. Got the Mets too. Yeah. yeah. Who'd they acquire over the weekend from the A's? It was was a bat was a Bassett. Oh uh, yeah, Bassett, Chris Bassett. Yeah. yeah so. I would probably put, I, I think the Dodgers are there. I I'm, I still don't think there's a clear favorite in the National League because I don't think the Dodgers are. Last year we all You don't think this year. is putting the Dodgers as the clear favorite? Well, I mean, it, technically it's not official yet, even though they probably are going to get him. But I don't know if their pitching's still there just yet. I, like, I don't look at that pitching staff and go, ooh, wow. That I, offense, though. I don't, <laughs> that offense offense is really good, know but it It's just not <laughs> fair, to be honest with you. So I would like, say. Where's Max Muncy even playing? D H. Yeah. Good yeah, Lord, man. I would say Dodgers, Mets. What's going to be really frustrating is when they sign. Uh, what's his face? Oh, Trevor say. Story. Oh. That's going to suck. <laughs> oh my. Or Correa till one yeah, year. Correa I mean, comes in. Why not? Right. I would. Oh, I would God. say Dodgers, Mets. I, I still think the Braves are up there because I think their offense is still – I don't think their offense takes as big a step that, back as we I think. heard that they're close to and their signing Jorge good. Soler, too. Yeah. The Braves. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think your three favorites will be Dodgers, Mets, Braves. I would put the Cardinals in that second tier with the Brewers and the Padres. Uh, well, I don't think the Padres are a top tier. Their pitching failed them last year, and it they had a bunch of these big names in Darvish and Snell and Musgrove, and really Musgrove was the only one that was good. You guys Can, out on the, Bra- uh, on the Giants? You, n- yeah. Neither of you mentioned the Giants. I would put Giants. them in Tier 2. I, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Giants. I would put them in Tier I just, 2. I feel like losing Buster Posey is a, a pretty significant loss, and Kevin Gossman as well. If the Not, Phillies sign Chris Bryant. Oh, yeah, Phillies are going to be up, up there. there. Ken Rosenthal is saying that the Brewers are getting Andrew McCutcheon, so game, game over game in the NL Central, guys. I've got Come the, on. I've got the Dodgers as my clear-cut number one. I've got the Mets as my clear-cut number two in the National League. I actually have the Giants as my clear-cut number three. Until proven otherwise... I believe in that team. I thought that it was a really big move for them over the weekend, uh, getting another pitcher to throw into the mix. And their rotation has the chance to be really good again this year. Well, guys. They got Carlos Martinez. Yeah, that's uh, I, I actually did really like that signing for them. I don't think that he's going to be a significant contributor, but it's worth a shot. I, I think that the Giants have a chance to be very good once again this year. And they play the matchups as well as anybody. We all know that. I, I think they're number three for me. And then I've got this third tier in the National League where it's the Braves, the Padres, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Phillies, I think, fit into that mix potentially. Maybe the Nationals, depending on what they decide to do. They apparently told Nelson Cruz, hey, we're going to go out there and make a bunch of other good moves. The National League in that second tier, I guess, behind the top three contenders in my mind, it's going to be fascinating this year. And actually, if there ever was a season to have the expanded playoffs, this is a pretty good year to have it, honestly, because you're going to have six quality teams that could make the playoffs and are deserving of it. Yeah, this is this is not going to be an easy test for the Cardinals because I I know that you guys look at the Brewers and say, well, that pitching staff clearly can't do what they did last year. But I and I get it with the short and spring, it's going to be pitching is going to matter. I still view the Cardinals and Brewers very even, and I think it's just going to come down to health. And right now, Cardinals not off to a good start with Alex Reyes dealing with a shoulder injury. And I do think the, sure. I'm not counting out the Braves or excuse me, the Brewers. You just said they're in talks with Andrew McCutcheon. I think if there's someone that drops too. to a small, has to drop to a decent team deal, 
the Brewers are always that team that waits late in if that bleeping team training. gets Trevor Story. No, see, I can see them get. I can see them get a Kyle Schwarber. I thought they were going to get Nelson Cruz. I can see them get a Kyle Schwarber. See, I don't think Schwarber because he'll go multiple years. But if Story is one year, you can move Willie Adamas to second base or hell, or story. Him. Yeah, or Story. No, the Story same thought way. said he's not moving. He wants to we'll play see. short. He wants to get paid when too. When your market ain't moving, you'll, you'll do anything. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get back into the Cardinals coming up here in about 30 minutes or so in the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, JT Brown is the TV color analyst for the Seattle Kraken. We want to check check in with him to see, hey, which of those defensemen is available? And who does he think would be the best fit on this Blues team? We'll ask JT Brown coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joined by TV color analyst for the Seattle Crack and former NHL forward in his own right, JT Brown, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. JT, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Let's start with the obvious, which is uh, the Seattle Kraken are a team that everybody's got on their call list right now as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. The Blues in particular are going to be honing in on some of the defensemen as we get closer to the market. Who do you think is available right now from Seattle as teams are making their calls? I mean, I'm sure he's listening to calls on everyone. Um, I think, you know, if, if the price is right, you, you have to be willing to, uh, you have to be willing to at least listen to it. Right. So I don't think I won't say that there's anyone that's not on the list. I would, I'd listen on anybody. That's just me as a GM. I'm not sure what uh what ron's doing but that's how i would i would look at it and jt they're in such an uh, an interesting position too because as an expansion team you want to compete right away especially when vegas puts the unrealistic expectations like they did in their first year in seattle they have some pieces in place but do you feel like ron francis is in a position of looking at okay well if we make these trades we want to get something that's going to keep us on the radar next season or is he possibly looking a little bit more down the road and getting draft picks and players that can be of assistance to seattle in three to four years um you know again i could just say i would think more so along the lines of you know next year um Obviously, this year didn't go the way that you planned, but you still have a very strong fan base. It's new up here, but you also want you got to give them something too. So you don't want to have three, four years of complete losing, and then all of a sudden the fifth year is great, right? So I feel like eventually, sometimes you have to be able to, uh, you know, put something out there. And I think uh, you know they have the pieces. Obviously, signing McCann for a long-term deal, uh, you know, before an extension right now, before it got into the offseason, is a big deal. You know, having him coming back and wanting to be here. So I just think that uh, obviously, you know, you're going to take the strides next year to be a little bit better. And then, you know, obviously who knows what happens three to five years down the line. We're talking with JT Brown here on 101 ESPN. Uh, JT, the two guys that I know Alex has talked a lot about, one of them, and that's Jamie Alexiak. I, he signed a long-term deal. I, I wouldn't think he would be available from Seattle, but uh, maybe you can tell me if that's not correct. But the other guy that we've talked a decent amount about is Carson Soucy. Um, He's a younger player than a guy like Mark Giordano, but can you give us a sense of what kind of player Carson Soucy has been this year for Seattle? And if the blues ended up acquiring him, what he could potentially bring to their blue line. 
Well, first off, you're getting a guy who went to a great college. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Um, that's, I mean, for me, I think he's a, uh, he's right now, he's having a career year for goals. He tied his career um, with seven goals this year. Um, he's one of those guys, he's obviously a big body, can play physical, um, you know, good shot. I'd say he's a, I want to say stay at home, like he can play that role, but he can also jump up when it's necessary. He's not going to be completely offensive, and he's not just going to be straight shut down, good at moving the first puck, uh, skates well, especially for that size. You know, I mean, I think if you look at what, you know, he did last year in Minnesota, uh, being, you know, one of the top defensemen on that team going into the playoffs, which St. Louis would have been able to see a little bit more of him there. But, you know, coming here, it's been, there's a lot of, that were on NHL rosters last year. So I think this year has been a little bit different for a lot of the defense kind of going in and out of certain games, not playing as many games. Uh, but I think he's a solid defenseman. I think that, uh, you know, just his sheer size, you know, willingness to play physical has a little bit of that offense too. So I think he's, I think he's a good defenseman. So JT, you've seen him play, of course, this season, but you've also been on the call for the Blues and Kraken games earlier this year. They played twice already, and a lot of people in St. Louis are talking about that top left-handed defenseman that could play with Colton Pareko. Do you feel like Susie could match that identity of, of playing with Colton as a top-pairing left-sided defenseman? Well, of course. I mean, I think Susie's a very complimentary defenseman. He can do a lot of things on his own, but he can also, you know, especially... In that sense, you know, you can be a little bit, uh, you know, you have two guys with big size. You have guys that can shoot the puck and move the puck. Pareko definitely can get in there and on the offensive side too. So I, I, it, it would be a good fit. Who knows what's available or what's going down the line. But, you know, me personally, I think I, I'd like to keep him here. But, uh, you know, that's a, a business decision that has to come from people way above my my grade. So, JT, I did want to ask you, and I know it's been some time since these two teams played against each other, but what, what's just your perception of this Blues team? Because, you know, hot and cold a little bit, which happens in a regular NHL season, but some people have said that they look like a team that could compete for a Stanley Cup. Was that your impression of them when you saw them? Yeah, I mean, I think the first time uh, was a little bit different. You had a lot of uh, people missing during that time. A lot of people, especially on the power play. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was who was all gone that time. I think you had four players out. I want to say, um, but I think because we had the or Seattle had a lot. It gave up a lot of penalties against St. Louis, and I think you only are only able to get one power play goal, if I'm not mistaken. But the second time was a little bit different. You could see, you know, maybe more of a full lineup, and I do believe Preco was out the first game, um, whether it was COVID or injury. I remember, I just remember writing down that you guys had a lot missing the first game. <laughs> but I do think that, uh, you know, St. Louis is a team that can compete. You have a lot of, I would say, a lot of good players on the team, skill players that know what it takes to 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 win. I mean, I'm good friends with one of them as well, uh, Justin Falk on the defensive side. So. You have a lot of good skill. You have a guy like Kairou's playing fantastic. Um, you can go up and down your lineup and find guys that are just contributing where they need to be. And, you know, maybe it's that one piece that, like you were saying, talking about that you just need that one piece to push you over the edge because it's obviously a, a – the league itself is very competitive, uh, especially when you get to that, you know, that upper echelon, that top ten teams. It's very tight. Um so that one piece could make a huge difference. JT, final one I wanted to ask you. You were with the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning when they went on that stretch run uh, back in the 2014-15 season. Uh, what's the most important part when you get to this point of the season where you're down to the final month and a half before you enter the playoffs for a team? 
you know, I think the biggest thing is is finishing strong. Uh, you'd never want to sort of limp into the playoffs or into that picture. So it's definitely, you know, making sure you you take advantage of the games you're supposed to win and, and you know, get into a group because you can't just turn it on once the playoffs start. Anybody can beat anybody. It's, you know, just one series. Um, I mean, we saw that last year with a team like Montreal that I don't think many people had pegged to do as well as they did. It's about getting hot at the right time. Um, goaltending obviously is, is key, but I would say another big thing is just the rest when it's there. Obviously, I think every team in the league isn't going to have a lot of rest going into this last portion of the season with the breaks and COVID and kind of just the schedule, just the way the schedule is made. There's not a lot of rest. So when you do get that time to, you know, really make sure you're relaxing your body and, you know, preparing for a, a long stretch. He's JT Brown, TV color analyst for the Seattle Kraken. You can follow him on Twitter as well. He's at JT Brown 2323. JT, appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, of course, anytime. Thanks, JT. JT joining us here on 101 ESPN. Biggest takeaway, Alex? Uh, the Carson Soucy deal. And I don't know if he's available, but the fact that Jeremy Rutherford made the connection there, and I mean, in all in all honesty, he sounds like a guy that could match what the Blues are looking for. You get one extra year with him, but as JT mentioned, Seattle would likely want to hold on to this guy, so you might have to give up a lot. But when you're talking about a guy who's six foot five and can play with Colton Pareko, and I mean he matched exactly what we've talked about—a stay-at-home defenseman that can join into the rush. This could be a guy that the the Blues could uh, make a win off of if they trade for. Yeah, these are the types of players that I think I have resigned myself to. Uh, the types of guys that make the most sense for the Blues, and it's that mid-tier three-ish million-dollar player. Like I. I think that's kind of what they should be Unless looking for. Unless you can for. get Proveroff. Yeah, and I, I just don't know how realistic it is. Like, if you can get that guy, of course, go out there and acquire him. But there's also opportunity costs there. If you're going out and acquiring a guy that's $6.75 million for the next three seasons, that limits what you're going to be able to do in the offseason. It probably means you're going to have to let go of a guy like Ivan Barbashev. It means you're going to have to trade, most likely, I would think at least, Jake Neighbors and a goalie pr- prospect. Like, you're giving up a ton in that kind of a trade, Whereas if you're going out there and getting a Carson Soucy, maybe it's mid-round pick, and that that's probably about it. Maybe you have to give up, like maybe you you give up a first-round pick and Marco Scandella, so that way they take the yeah. money on for you, something like that. Well, the good news is Jeremy Rutherford's with Jamie Rivers today on the fast lane, so we can hold him accountable to find out why the hell he even brought that name up. We already got plenty of names going around in our brains. We don't need to add more to the trade deadline ask. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters. Tom Brady unretires. Kirk Cousins is the greatest sports business person in the history of sports. And there's a bunch of free agency news from today. We'll get into it all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the big news from yesterday before we get to some of the signings that have taken place so far today Kirk as Cousins, NFL's one year extension. Free agency has officially begun. Tom Brady unretires very unceremoniously as well. Just throws out a tweet on Twitter and it's like, hey, I'm back. He ruined Selection Sunday. Tom, <laughs> read the room. Someone tweeted and said he has no respect for Canada when Toronto's <laughs> in their heritage game. It's all right. They lost to Buffalo anyway. Yes. Anybody suck. surprised by this? No, not no. at all. 
Like, I just think he should apologize to the individual who paid all that money for his last touchdown pass. The only surprise Amen. to me is not that he's back, but it is that he's back with Tampa. That's where I was at, too. Tampa played this really well, man. I, I credit where it's due. I think speculation. I think he wanted to play for San Francisco. I think San Francisco wanted Tom Brady. I think Tampa said, no, you're under contract with us. And they did what I said that Green Bay should do with Aaron Rodgers. And I think he threw a fit. He got mad. He didn't get his way for the first time in his career. But weren't the San Francisco 49ers the team that tampered with Tom Brady? No, no the Miami. Dolphins. The Dolphins were. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, because I thought San Francisco was, and he turned it down. No, the, the Dolphins were that team. I think he wanted to go home to San Francisco. That be that would be the way that he would go out and he finishes his career that way. And the Buccaneers weren't interested in that. And now he's back with the Bucs. So, way to go, Bruce. You've ruined Tom Brady's life. Where would you say that the Bucs right now rank in the NFC? They third? Second? Fourth? See, uh, it's hard because I still got to see what they do in the offseason. Sure. I mean, you don't have Chris Godwin, matters. Leonard Fournette. Yeah, they, they franchised him. Well, no, but what I mean is you don't have him for the first portion of the season oh, with oh. his injury. They're getting Gronk back, it looks like. Well, I thought he was going to Buffalo. Well, not anymore. You know he's not yeah. leaving Tom. Leonard Fournette's still not there. So, I, like, in their, their one offensive lineman retires, and then the other one goes and signs with Cincinnati. I think right now I'd at least have them behind Green Bay and the Rams. I think that's where I would put them too. I put them on that like same tier as Dallas but right Green now. Green Bay doesn't they're like have Devontae Adams third. right now. Uh, he'll be there. He'll and be there. Don't posturing. worry. I, I think uh. it's. I think Green Bay is one. I think Rams are two because I think they're going to miss the edge rush of Von Miller unless they bring him back, and that's unknown. I'm curious to know what their offensive line looks like because they just signed Joe Newbone to a three-year contract. That's a made-up name. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that name's right. Oh, I hope I'm not wrong on that one. Uh, so I would say they're third, and I'm with Alex. I think they can get up into that second slash maybe first tier there if they can make some big offseason moves. They have a lot of free agents. Last year, they were not all that impressive down the stretch, and I think part of that was because of injuries. They did almost come back and beat the Rams and would have ended that Super Bowl run, but I think right now I'd say they're like tied for third with Dallas. That's where I would put them. I would go third. I don't think I would have Dallas in the same category as them. Not after they released Amari Cooper, and we'll see what else they're able to do this offseason. They seem like a team that's kind of in transition right now. Yeah, I was going to say, all these guys are going, and and they're – I mean, did did they bring back Randy Gregory? It sounded like they were. They're trying to. We'll see. And then they're also working on Bobby Wagner. With Demarcus Lawrence as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure about Dallas anymore. The big thing for the Buccaneers, they might go like 14-3 and next year just based on their division alone. They've got six wins in their division. Those teams stink. Unless the Panthers are able to get Deshaun Watson like people are speculating about right now, I I mean – I don't see how any of those teams is able to come up and bite the buck. So they're clearly going to be the favorite to win that division. And then it's just about what happens in the postseason. I think Tom Brady took a look around. He's like, I'm reading the room a little bit and kind of like what I see here. The NFC is really depleted with talent. And I kind of like this idea of coming back and maybe getting another Lombardi trophy. Do do you think this pushes Atlanta to move uh, Matt Ryan? They restructured his deal. They can't. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Did that that over the weekend. So they're stuck with him. And speaking of more money going to somebody, Kirk Cousins, man, what a Hall of Famer. What a star this guy is. The same day that Tom Brady announced he's coming back. Kirk Cousins, great news dump day. Decided, ah, I'm going to go ahead and get another year on that contract worth $35 million, and all of it's going to be fully guaranteed. Stay hot, Minnesota. What are we doing? <laughs> Kirk Cousins 
has played this so unbelievably well. He was franchise tagged twice. He got a fully guaranteed uh, deal for three years in Minnesota. He's just extended on that. He has been for the last six years on a fully guaranteed contract. Nobody in the league can say that. I think he's the only player ever to do that. I'm serious. Pro- uh, probably so, because I know some rookies get full guaranteed, but it's only like three years. Yeah, and not for the full deal. It. Kirk yeah. Cousins, God Future bless NFL him, agent. I, I am so unbelievably impressed with the way that he's been able to conduct himself from a business perspective. God bless him, man. And what did he what did he, he tweet out running. last night? Something about building a Lombardi. Yeah, now that's out of the way. Let's, let's get to work and go. Yeah, come on, Kirk. Come on, Kirk. You know better than What's that. Santos, like I view them as like maybe like the fifth best team in the NFC. I yeah. mean, they got a better head coach. They might not be a bad team. They Would got they to fix their defensive again? issues. Was it the Rams? O'Connell, yeah. yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Any guesses on what Kirk Cousins has made so far in his NFL career? Oh, it's got to be close to half a billion. Yeah, it's got to oh. be close to two or three hundred mil. Is that too much or too low? Five hundred million dollars is a lot. It's got to be man. close to two hundred yeah, mil. Did, well, okay, hold on. I guess he probably got over. I think he got what one thirty-six in his last one. Uh-huh. It was a three-year deal. Remember that? I'm telling you. Yeah, he's so he's got to be like close. He's got to be close to two hundred mil. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like three hundred million. Two, two, 220. At the end of this contract, he'll be at 230. Damn. Right, Let's now, go! right now, he's at $160 million in 10 seasons. A reminder, he made less than a million dollars each of his first hey. four years in the league because he was like a fifth round yeah. pick. Look, I've seen his that mansion. That was the right contract value he was I've on. I've seen yeah. his beach mansion in uh, in Saugatuck, Michigan. So, uh, your boy's not doing too bad for himself right now. All right. All right. Let's gated get community. Let's get into some of the deals that have taken place so far today. The most active team on the market thus far is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are throwing out Shocker. money to everybody right now. Just trying to polish that turd. They apparently just gave a big contract. I haven't seen the terms on it yet to Christian Kirk, the wide receiver, formerly of the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. They have also paid Brandon Scherf, former offensive lineman from Washington. I like him. A linebacker. Foyer. Go for it. This, Olocon, is, this is like, you, dude, you're the football guy. You're supposed to pronounce those. I know. And then a defensive tackle, Foley. Oh, they're just trying to mess with you now. Fatukasi? All right, that's a made-up name. That's like Scrabble. They have paid a bunch of money to a bunch of different dudes, so good guys, for Jacksonville. The first thing I see on this one for Kirk is it's a, quote, large deal. Oh, <laughs> baby. Uh, the Bengals just made a big signing. They're keeping B.J. Hill on a three-year deal worth $30 million. He's a very good defensive tackle, completely changed their running defense last year. Uh, so that is a deal for Cincinnati. Uh, They've also matter. signed a couple of offensive linemen. I know that's what you were looking for. But it doesn't matter. They got Zach Taylor still, right? They do. I so mean, he's miserable, so they got to get rid of him. He's terrible. The Eagles have agreed to terms with pass rusher Hassan Reddick. Three right. years, $45 million with $30 million of it guaranteed. Water those weeds, Rick's uh, that's, Siriano. We're going to look back at this offseason. That's going to be one of the best signings that we see. Hassan Reddick? That's a really good signing by the Eagles. They have no linebackers to speak of right now. He's a very good pass rusher. They got to get a quarterback first. He's going to fit in well with them. I, the Eagles yeah. will make the playoffs next year. No, well, no they won't. I mean, it's the, the NFC. Yeah, that's true. Damn. <laughs> I wish I could <laughs> stick to that, but the they NFC will. East. Seven teams they made are going to make year. it into the, uh, the playoffs in the oh, NFC. Gosh, They're going to be the one playoffs. of them. <laughs> um, they made it this damn year, so they'll make it. Gardner exactly. Minshew will lead them to the playoffs, though. Exactly. I Gardner Minshew, your next quarterback for the Indianapolis no, Colts. He's, he's going to be the first. next quarterback for the Eagles. Is that how that's going to work? Yeah. Uh, 65780 is, is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, big signings for the Dolphins as well. They signed Chase Edmonds, the running back from the Cardinals, to a two-year deal worth $12 million. And Emmanuel Ogba got paid, boys. 
four years, $65 million. The Cardinals also re-signed James Conner to a three-year contract. Is there any deals that have taken place today that stand out to you as particularly interesting? I mean, Cincinnati's offensive line deals do because, I mean, you've got the guy from Tampa Bay. They've upgraded their weakest spot. Now, I still don't know what defense looks like because I know they had a bunch of free agents, but to get uh, the defensive tackle locked up is a good deal. Cincinnati's the one for me that I'm probably looking at. Jacksonville a little bit too. I mean, I don't know what that team's going to look like now with Doug Peterson, but you've got some protection for uh, Trevor Lawrence. And on top of it, you get Christian Kirk. So those are the two teams that stand out to me. The one that stands out to me is the Pittsburgh Steelers going to risky oh, Trubisky. Why would, I don't why even would know if we mentioned that one, but why I, would we stand out? I can't believe that's who they turned to. I thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be the target for Pittsburgh. I thought he just fit in perfectly with them. And he's basically the only veteran quarterback on the market still. Derek Carr pro- might be available, uncertain about his future. I am stunned that they just they they swept in, and you know that you're stealing a good quarterback when you stole him from the New York Giants, who were reportedly <laughs> rumored in Mitchell Are Trubisky. Are they like the Baltimore Orioles of the NFL? Pretty much, yeah, except they, they can't to, develop talent unlike they, the Baltimore Orioles, as we saw firsthand here in St. That's, Louis. That's not true. That is true. That's not true. The other piece of news, this is really speculation, uh, to add in here, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network says the Lions, the Browns, and the Chiefs are all among the teams that have checked in on Allen Robinson. If you could pick Allen Robinson's next landing spot among those three, where would you like to see him go? Not the Lions. The what? Browns would be really interesting if they're able to get Allen Amari Robinson Cooper? and Oof. Amari Cooper. That's a good. That's you a good team. You kept both of your tight ends. You've got a couple of very good running backs. We all know they've got a good offensive line. They could rebuild that offense very quickly. And if Baker Mayfield's able to take a step forward this year now that he's healthy, they could suddenly be right back above the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North making the playoffs and stealing the Bengals spot in the playoffs. That's not possible. I know you hate Zach Taylor, but that's not possible. Honestly, I'd like to see him go to the Chiefs. I don't don't know if they can get that done, but I mean... Allen Robinson is a stud to put that with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like, that would be a fun team to watch. Here for it. I think I would rather have, I'd like to see him in, no. I can't even believe they're in. Get Jared Goff that weapon. And Goff needs more than weapons. I'd like to see Robinson in Cleveland. I, I think he makes sense alongside Amari Cooper because they just let go of Jar- Jarvis Landry. And originally, I didn't think that made sense. But then after looking at what his cap hit was, it, it makes sense to clear up space. Maybe you go push for Allen Robinson. I believe he's younger, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's like Jar- 28. Yeah. 29. Go get him. He'll pair perfectly with Amari Cooper. And maybe Cleveland's back on the road to, like to see the playoff Raiders get him. Amari Cooper would be very good for the Raiders. What are they no, doing? No, no, not Amari Alan Cooper. Allen Robinson. Robinson. That's Amari Cooper was with the Raiders, yes. and it didn't work out very well. I, what are they doing? How are they not in on all of these receivers? I, like I just, if you're going to back Derek Carr, like I think you should get him some help other have than they, Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Have they done anything today? I, I have not seen, I haven't seen them single signing anything from the Raiders. Yeah, what are they doing? I wonder. I wonder if they're going to be invested in the draft. I wonder if that's where Maybe. they're thinking. McDaniel's the is just thinking. There's a bunch of good receivers in this year's yeah. draft, so that's fair. Uh, according to one report from Kyle Ogdegard. <laughs> Odegaard. You made You're that struggling Odegaard. today, man. No, I'm serious. O-D-E-G-A-R-D. That's how you Odegaard. Yeah. Christian Kirk is getting paid in a big way. It oh could be as much as $17 million on a per year basis. What? Holy crap. Why? I, I mean, he's good, but he's not $17 million good, is he? I mean. And on that team? Christian Kirk's like a really good number three receiver. <laughs> My God, he's not even a really Man, good number the two. The legitimately he, are ran he's by He's never a had more than 1,000 <laughs> yards in a season. Maybe Doug Peterson just absolutely wants him. 
Doug I Peterson's guess. like, get me Christian Kirk. I've seen a I lot don't of care Christian what else. Kirk. He's not worth like $7 million a year. Allen Robinson's on the market. Juju yeah, Smith. Allen Robinson's going to get less money per year than get Christian, me Christian Kirk. Kirk. My goodness. Can you imagine what his age's reaction was? Did you say $17 million per year? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah, good. Yeah, We're yeah, good. Yeah. How many years? <laughs> I don't care how many years. Just $17 million. No, 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 no. $17 million. That's what you said. You said it. No wonder he signed so quickly. Of no course give, you're going to give back that deal. Um, a little bit of news also. This is not NFL news, but college basketball news nonetheless. One of the greatest people in college basketball has been fired. Uh, Frank Martin let go from South Carolina. Does Mizzou get in on this? No, he's... I think Frank Martin's probably done. You think so? Yeah, in high-level coaching. Damn, he was so good with South Carolina. Yeah, he's, he's only 55. Like, why wouldn't you take a chance on this? I love Frank Frank Martin. He, he went so poorly at South Carolina at the yeah, end. But, yeah. but, I mean, that's he the He plays bully ball. He, I think... That's, that's post-COVID he's played bad. He he's, only got into the tournament once with South Carolina, right? I think he got that's to the right. final four. twice. I think it was just once he got to the final four. Or was it an NIT that I'm thinking of? He might have made it twice, but it, it has not gone well. It, oh, yeah, it was the NIT second round before the final four. Yeah. Um, he's he's yeah. a really good he's a really good basketball coach. He's the type of guy that, like, not Marquette because they've got their guy now with uh, Shaka. A, a place like that is probably a good spot for Frank Martin. Honestly, would you take him back at K-State? I might. If you're hey. K-State, wouldn't you make that higher? Be like, hey, we'll go back to this, is see this, what works. Is this bad for Mizzou to have all of these job openings in the SEC? I think Mizzou's a better job than South Carolina is. Or but what about uh, Georgia already? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Because th- those teams Great. are just going to throw away crazy amounts of money. Fantastic. The thing with LSU, though, is they've got crazy sanctions that are about to head their way. Fantastic. The FBI stuff finally caught up with them. <laughs> Coming up we'll next, we'll get criminal. to the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, so we're going to finish up where we started today. I don't think the Cardinals are making any more big moves. I think they're done. I think if they make another move, it's probably a left-handed bat that's like a Colin Moran. I don't know if it's specifically him, but that that type of a name. Are you really going to end the show like Evan Drellich and just kick people in the gonads? That's 100% correct. However, from the bat, there's jerk. a gentleman by the name of Mike Rodriguez. I don't know how inside info Whoa. he is. I, I have no idea, but he is apparently one of the analysts on the Cubs Spanish radio broadcasts. And he tweeted out earlier today, the twins and the Cardinals continue to chase Trevor Story's services. The Yankees and Astros still can't be ruled out. Although the Astros might be depending on what they do with Carlos Correa End quote. Again, that came from Mike Rodriguez of Univision up in Chicago. I don't think the Cardinals are going to sign Trevor story, but a lot of their moves this offseason make a lot more sense. If you do, if you look at them through the prism of we've got one more move in our, in our chamber, we've got one more bullet left and it's the big one of going out and signing Trevor story to a one year, big money contract. Everything else about this offseason makes a ton more sense. If that is the plan, whether it be story or somebody like him that fell through the cracks and takes a one year deal. I just don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to do it either. I mean, if Trevor Story drops it down and says, yeah, I want to do a one-year... Like, the only way I see this happening is if Trevor Story comes to the Cardinals and says, look, I want to play for you, and I'll play for whatever we need to make this work. 
And that's the only scenario that I can see playing out with this because they've backed Paul DeYoung multiple times and they have Edmundo Sosa and they have Tommy Edmund with Nolan Gorman coming up. So as much as I want it, it's hard for me to believe it unless it falls into the Cardinals lap the way they want it to. Yeah, I can't believe it unless it falls in their lap and it's probably a team friendly deal. It's even probably below what his actual yep. market value is. Especially if the twins deal. are fighting for it, the twins are going to probably pl- pay a lot well, more than the what the Cardinals would. I have no, I don't understand what the twins are doing. So, but it, now they just you, saved 50 million dollars yeah. of the move that they made yesterday. To, they have players to, that they can compete with. To PK's point as well, saying, you know, maybe this is that one last move that the Cardinals build it up to. I mean, the rest of the National League is moving along. A lot of these teams are starting to load up. The Braves just loaded up with Olsen. I, I bet the Phillies are going to be pretty heavy on Chris Bryant oh, yeah. loading up that offense. Miami has still potentially a chance to go sign somebody. I don't think they will. Castellanos has been the connection with them. Washington appears to be adding on. The Dodgers are adding pieces. The Giants are going to be the Giants still. The Padres may may go make us. Don't the be National shocked League if they make is a move really deep, right but now. the Cardinals don't care about that. Everyone can make moves, and the Cardinals will sit there and say, "Well, we're not going to make moves because of everyone else." They're going to have to start caring here pretty soon if these teams continue to make moves around them. They can say all they want. This is a World Series contender. When you look at the rosters, you shake them up next to one another. The Cardinals are going to have to win on all of the margins if they're going to be trying to compete with some of these other teams the Braves for example you look at their middle of the order right now once they get everybody back Ronald Acuna Ozzie Albies and you've got Olsen now there oh buddy that's going to be an interesting middle of the order all right for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. the fast lane's coming up from two to six I also got to tell you the first round action of the NCAA tournament is scheduled for Thursday and Friday we are also getting in on the fun we're going to be live out at Max downtown in Alton we're going to be hanging out there all day long on Thursday Alex is even going to be doing pre and post game from out there from what I understand so we're going to be there all day long we are staying the night in Alton staying out there on Friday as well broadcasting live from 11 to 6 101 ESPN is hang out with us down there at max downtown Alton. Also be sure to sign up for this year's bracket madness pick'em challenge brought to you by twin peaks and bud light. Fill out your tourney bracket challenge right now. at 101 ESPN.com free to enter $250 fanatics gift card is up for grabs. Must be 21 or older resident of Missouri or Illinois. First round starts Thursday. Be sure to sign up now. At 101 ESPN.com. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.